Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We thought it was finished, we thought it was done. Through 90s nostalgia, we'd have our fun. But now it returns, a gaming power station. A strange new world. We're under consultation. And welcome to the Power Station. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master, and its brand new series. I am one of your hosts, Luke Cohen, and when young love dies, they're dead. And I'm his beautiful, talented, and much more BBC Radio 2 appropriate co-host, Ash Versus. This episode of Series 8 of Games Master originally aired on YouTube on the 21st of November 2021 before airing on E4 on the 24th of November 2021. We're not going to go into the charts of anything, though, because that information doesn't get officially released until the Wednesday. We're recording this on a Sunday, so it would just be, like, either wrong or weeks-old information. I think Call of Duty something or other is top of the gaming charts I think that's exactly what I texted you earlier, and I think that should also give you an indication of what I made of the Call of Duty challenge that comes up later on. Also, Forza. Forza yeah, 5. I'd shrug. I'm, I'm playing Castlevania Symphony of the Night at the moment, and when I, 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 if you listen to our Patreon um, uh, community podcast, you'll be like, yeah, you've been playing that for months. Ahaha. Uh-huh. I actually completed it on a Wednesday. I then went into work, and I just started a brand new save file. So I am playing through it again. Well, uh, just to bring you up to speed, Luke, Forza 5 is like Castlevania Symphony of the Night, but open world and cars. Sounds great. I'm, I'm, do you know what, actually? There's a couple of games that were featured on this show today that made me go like, I could get into that. That I can definitely get into. But we will get into that later. On the film side of things, the charts aren't out yet either. It could be Ghostbusters Afterlife. 
It's probably Ghostbusters Afterlife. It's one of two contenders, really. It's either that or the Eternals is top again. Luke, we'd love to talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife. We could talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife for about two and a half hours, which is what I reckon this podcast is going to be anyway. And maybe we will talk about it in a separate podcast of its own. But for now, Ghostbusters Afterlife, it's probably top of the charts. Moving on. Yeah, when we come back to doing the Series 8 Revisited, which we will do after we finish Series 7, we'll go through like the chart stuff then. So you'll get like, you know, that usual banter bit there. However, here we are, Ash. Series 8 of Games Master is here. It ended about two hours ago, the YouTube airing of it. Um, We're lucky boys. We got to see it a couple of days ago. One of the things that I was genuinely thrilled about, because I'm, I'm recording this from my uh, the studio that I work at. I was, so I was on the train and I didn't get to watch it live, but I was watching the feedback to it. Is that it was, I would say, 90% positive. Of course, there are people that didn't like it. You're never going to please everyone. That's an impossible task to ask of anything. But to have a 90%-ish positive feedback to this, I thought it was super, but it was wonderful to see. I mean, to give you an idea... Here we are. It premiered two hours ago. I'm looking at the YouTube stats page now. It's got 4,000 views, which isn't bad considering because who knows where this show will truly find its audience. It could be YouTube, could be E4, it could be in the week after the YouTube release. But 4,000 views, upvotes, 330, downvotes, 23. That's a really, really good ratio. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I was hanging in our Discord for the uh, premiere. I was watching the chat flow there. I was also on Twitter. I was also on YouTube. When I did see negativity in the YouTube chat, it was the same criticisms from the same four people over and over again. And it was exactly the sort of criticisms that really, really don't matter or have any place in 2021. Yeah, that DVD reviewer guy. Oh, that guy. That guy (laughs) is a known troll and about as welcome as a fart in a spacesuit. That guy. I'm giving you plenty of edit points here. That guy. (laughs) That guy. Or just plenty of beat points. I'm just going to use all the swear jar stuff. That's, That's what I meant, yeah. All the swear jar usage. Get it all out now that guy however and you can vouch for this because obviously it's an audio format when you were saying series eight episode one and you were saying the air date i just started grinning because i'm like luke what are we doing it reminds me a little bit actually so i've mentioned this before on the podcast i used to do a twilight zone podcast back in the day i was kind of a uh, i was the dexter fletcher of a twilight zone podcast where the main host of it had to take some time off so i filled in for him for a handful of episodes I didn't take as full advantage of that opportunity as I really should have done. You know, that was something that he took that project on because the show was done in the 60s. And he was covering it for a while and I was covering it for a while. And then all of a sudden, a brand new Twilight Zone series started in 2019. And me and Tom did the first episode together as like we just sort of like, you know, just having a chat about it. Because he would open the episodes kind of the same way that I do. It was like, this episode aired on blank. And it was so weird to do a Twilight Zone podcast where you'd say a current date. And now I'm sat here doing a Games Master podcast where I'm doing the same thing. How do we even start this? I'll tell you how we start this, Ash. That's a very good segue for me. That is how I'm starting this. <laughs> Ooh, a gamma ray. A gamma ray? What are you drinking? I'm having a Kona Big Wave. Awesome. We are open to sponsorship at this point because if Games Master can get sponsorship, so can we. Anyway, so yeah, let's um, let, let's dive into the show. By that I mean, let's talk about Rab's poem, 
or as my Google Docs kept real like auto correcting it to rad. Um, so let's talk about Rad's opening poem and then the titles and the music because that was the first message I sent to you when you and I got sent the link to, to watch this on E4's press page was just that intro in all caps. It's a fine line to walk and this is something I've seen echoed on social media is it's a fine line to walk with paying tribute to what's gone before, being familiar, being comfortable, but also having your own identity. I would say this title sequence, this music and the power station is a tribute to season one and season two. We know what this is people remember. We know they mainly remember when it was in the um, the games rig and when it was in the church. And this is a way of echoing that, but also doing their own thing. The style is season one, very season one, but the building looks different. The games master looks different. We've got lava, which I guess also speaks to hell. And we got that link. I think you were at home. That was indeed. And I was racing my way across London for a day job related emergency. I was doing a podcast. In fact, I was doing a live broadcast and I was trying to like wrap up as quickly as possible so I could watch it. And and I just, I stopped and I found somewhere to shelter in where my phone couldn't be seen. <laughs> and I just watched like the first couple of minutes and I'm just like, oh yeah. I mean, we had a good it, feeling. Yeah. We'd been to the day's taping, but there's a world of difference. Even down to the fact, you know, the original series one intro had the, the wire drawer of the church and then the second one had that wire drawing of the games rig this has a wire drawing of the pumping station or the power station that has been renamed and then it sort of like goes into a cgi version of the intro kind of like you know what we got for series four and then you just mentioned like the fire and hell and my overwhelming take on this a everyone's great on the show in their roles sir trevor mcdonald is an absolutely corking games master replacements it's obvious he doesn't know what he's saying most of the time because why would he he's not a gamer he's not doing speed runs we imagine but he delivers it with conviction very similar to how patrick moore would deliver those lines with conviction but if anything i don't know i actually think sir trevor's got better comic timing yeah there's a couple of moments coming up including the line you used for your opening (laughs) <laughs> it's just like genuinely burst out i genuinely burst out laughing like it was a proper like gut laugh of just like when young love dies they're dead that's <laughs> really it's so good there's questions i have about this title sequence and this music which we will be able to answer in episode two because a commonality between the preview episode we saw and the episode that i watched again on YouTube just now, is it didn't have the end credit sequences. Mm-hmm. Whilst I know the names of some of the people involved, and I know some things that I'd heard about the new series of Games Master, I want to know, was it the same graphics people that did the original? Because it definitely had a, a similarity to it. What about the music? Who composed the music? All these questions we will have to answer next week. So, you know, stick a pin in it for now, and we'll come back to that. But overall, a strong start. I love the poem. You know me, Luke. I love a poem. This is the second opportunity I've had to write a poem for under consultation. The other one was when we did our nightmare special, and I had way too much fun with that. So it was great for Rab to give me an opportunity to do one again and also find a way to rhyme 
consultation. So we talked a bit about Rab already, who was a, a fabulous replacement host for Dominic Diamonds. In fact, actually, you know, some of the feedback I saw online was like, Craig, this is like watching Consolvania again or watching Video Gaiden and that. But we've, we've got our more E4 appropriate co-hosts alongside him, Frankie Ward and Ty Logan. I, I adore Frankie. I think she is absolutely superb. And Ty is so hyped for doing this show. You can hear him during challenges. Like you can, like Frankie and Rab are doing commentary, but you can hear Ty almost shouting over them, encouragement to the players and encouragement to the audience to get involved. He's a very, very good hype man. Absolutely. And also he's very, very good at rolling with the punches because things go wrong for him. His mic on a stick does not always <laughs> yeah. work as it should. And I'm, I'm so glad they left that in. I'm genuinely yeah. glad they left that moment in. It would have been easy to cut it out and use an alternative take, but it shows how quick on his feet he is and the audience roll with it. He rolls with it. And it's just a good moment, a great moment. Because guess what? Not everything goes right. Shit goes wrong. I would guess that Games Master is made on a very tight budget. We both know it was made on a very tight schedule. You just look at the entire process from when we know they were starting to look for people to when they were filming to when it was broadcast. It is a minor miracle that we had an episode to watch early full stop because of how TV works. Well, let's get into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? This challenge is a speedrun of a platform game featuring the world's most famous plumber, Super Mario 3D World. In this challenging speedrun, the brave soul will have to navigate the level Bowser's Highway Showdown at a lightning fast pace. Not only must they collect 70 coins, but they must also defeat Bowser, all in less than two minutes and 30 seconds. I love, and I'm pretty sure that this is intentional, that the first challenge on series one of episode eight, the reboot, whatever you want to call it, is basically the same challenge we got in series one, episode one of the original series. Just the updated version of it. I th- I've got to think that's intentional. Yeah, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, but this... This is Mario 3D World on the Nintendo Switch. I'm assuming Bowser's Fury, because that was the one that was transferred across from the Wii U. Uh, It's one of a number of titles that is what I would call a a legacy Nintendo title, which basically the Wii U flopped. Now, I know it's got its fans out there and its defenders, and I'm not saying it's a bad console. I am saying it didn't do as well as the Wii, and it certainly hasn't done as well as the Switch. And therefore, by Nintendo's own standards, it was a bit of a flop. I'd say so, yeah. They made some cracking games for the Wii U that just never got the audience they deserved. And Mario 3D World is one of those. It came out in 2013. It was a sequel to the 3DS game Super Mario 3D Land. And then came out for the Nintendo Switch with the addition of Bowser's Fury in February 2021. So earlier this year. Now, the Wii U version sold 5.88 million units worldwide. And it was like the second best-selling game for that system. As of September this year, the Switch version has already sold 7.45 million units worldwide. God, no one read, no one bought the Wii U, did they? I mean, I know someone that's got a Wii U, and I know other people that do. I know there's Discord members for under consultation that have a Wii U, but I remember seeing it and just thinking, I like the concept, but it feels a bit unwieldy and actually you look at what they ended up doing with the switch it was a good practice run for the switch 
There's a couple of features actually on the Wii U that I wish they'd found a way to make use of on the Switch, like a way for you to play on the Switch and on the TV at the same time. So you've got that second screen functionality. But then again, not many games on the Wii U really made good use of it. In fact, the only third party one I can truly think of off the top of my head was Zombie U, which was also perfectly playable without the second screen because it came out for other platforms and I played it on the PS4. But anyway, Mario 3D World, it was a very well-received game for the Wii U. It was a very well-received game for the Nintendo Switch. It introduced a number of new gaming mechanics, including one that will be key to this challenge, the cat costume, which apparently came up very early in development as a way to make the game more accessible to players that wouldn't be as familiar with the Mario mechanics. You know, basically, it makes your character more powerful. It means you can climb walls. It adds extra functionality. So yeah, it was a nice way to do things. It's a great game. It's a fun game. And as you said, it's a callback to Series 1, Episode 1. It's a fun challenge as well, because you know, that was also a speed challenge, as well as collecting the coins, which is you know what we've got here as well. But the difference now is that back then, that's just a challenge. Now, that's a way of life for a lot of gamers. So you have the Games Master here explaining the concept of speedrunning and the speedrunning community to viewers who may not be that familiar with it, which I thought was a really, really nice touch. And we then get our new gimmick for this show, which is that the challengers get interviewed by the Games Master. This is a lot of fun. This makes me think of Space Ghost Coast to Coast, because obviously, as we know from our day recording, they didn't know who the Games Master was when they were doing these green screen bits. They were talking to some producer. I know exactly who they were talking to, and I can almost hear his voice responding to their questions. Especially if they were a day three record, because he was going a little bit doolally by that point. Understandably, he'd been locked in a basement for three days. I don't even know if they let him go home at the end of the day. He was just out there at Crossness Pumping Station with the sewage. Anyway, our first contestant is, is a variety streamer, a multimedia illustrator, a QA engineer called Shanghai, and... They are immediately great on mic and they just rattle off their credentials much as I just did. And the immediate response from the Games Master is, I didn't ask for your CV. Boom. And I love that they've added some extra stakes onto this already by the fact that Shanghai is usually a Sonic runner. They're not that au fait with Mario. So they're like, I'm mildly uncomfortably confident. Is that a shred of doubt? No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love the final line from Gaze Master where he just goes, ha, 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 I do get lonely down here. It's like we've literally just been introduced to you and I already feel sorry for you being so lonely down here. And I mean, I've got to agree with both Rab and Frankie in the uh, the opening spiel that we have between the hosts in that Shanghai has got a fabulous jacket. It oh is my... a... Oh, the pins on display are delightful. Oh, God. I, I, they were stylish. They, uh, Rab said they looked fabulous. They do look fabulous. Shanghai, if you end up hearing this at all, if Frankie ever turns down that jacket, if you go back for kind of like a another run at Games Master and you don't succeed, if Frankie turns down your jacket, I, I will definitely at least like kind of pay good money for the pins. I was I was pausing the video on our review copy, just trying to look at all the pin badges going, oh, I recognize that one and that one. Love Shanghai, love their style, love their flair. So much fun. And I love the way Rab interacts with them. Rab's not being Dominic, nor should he be Dominic. Rab is entirely his own personality. He has got years and years and years of hosting experience from Consolvania, from Videogaden, 
from various other acting and comedy projects. And it's just, it's comfortable, it's familiar, but it's not because he's aping someone. It's just because I think we all know someone like Rap. Mm -hmm. We've all got that person that's been part of our lives or is a friend who's got that kind of energetic enthusiasm and cynicism in the same bundle. And I, I love that just Rab immediately brings that. Like, Rab, Rab, Rab will put you down, but also will bring you up. And it's, it's a lovely combo. I also love as well the, the difference between Series 1 of Games Master, Series 8 of Games Master, which I, I feel like something we might bring up a lot through the rest of these the, the next two episodes of this. When we had Danny Curley in Series 1, there's that moment where Dominic is interviewing him because he was a games tester at that point. And he's just like, you know, it's almost, it felt like this real, like, oh, kids, this guy here plays video games all day long. That's his job. And you with the child at home being like, oh my God, that sounds like amazing. Not knowing that being a quality tester is dreary ass work. So it's nice here that in series eight, they interview Shanghai about being a quality tester and they basically say, it's a dreary ass way of life. You're playing the same broken segment of a game over and over again. And the endless repetition does make you want to die a little on the inside. And I love how Rab's immediate response to that revelation is like, well, you know, there are so many QA testers out there. Why are there so many bad games? It's a good question. It's a great question. <laughs> yeah, CD Projekt Red, it's a great question. Rockstar, it's a great question. Shanghai does nicely deflect this by saying, well, none of the games that they work on are bad. Yes. I am now going to go and look up that list of games in Shanghai. <laughs> I will be... I'm not going to do that. No, it's no. a thankless job. And as someone that just enjoys games, I appreciate that someone is out there doing that job. We also get our first mention here of The Abyss, because there are a lot of stakes involved here. You either win the Games Master Golden Joystick or you literally burn. Yeah, you lose, you die, you're dead. End of life, no continues audience panto booze it's okay luke shanghai they booked the day off tomorrow it'll be fine it'll be all right let's get into the challenge itself and i think my biggest criticism i have of this episode is and there's actually something we will we're going to speak with frankie in a little bit i say we're going to speak with frankie we've already spoken with frankie and you're going to hear the conversation we had with frankie in a little bit wibbly wobbly timey wimey Exactly, yeah. And one of the things that she mentions to us is that she kind of wished there was a bit more time to have her and Rab work together in on commentary and stuff. And I think that's really shown here in the first challenge because it feels like at times, A, it's done in post and I know it's not. B, it feels like they've just cut all the lines up and then just pasted them into various different points. At times, it doesn't even feel like they're talking to each other. It's much better in the two of the challenges we get later on in the Celebrity Challenge and Mortal Kombat 11. And, but we know those were done on day three. But here, the commentary just doesn't quite work. And I feel like it's more down to the production side of things as opposed to Frankie and Rab. I think we're also seeing something here, which is this is commentary in the COVID era. So as you will have seen on the episode, whilst they're both looking at the same screen, there's a Victorian kind of like privacy screen between them, basically just to provide some separation. And it means that you're not getting the body language or the dynamic or the ability to visually throw over to your co-host. Like we have as podcasters adjusted to not sitting in the same room together. It took a while, but also we really could fix it in the edit. Like if you knew how long we spent on average editing an episode, particularly some of these remote ones we're doing, we have to do a lot to make it work. And all we have to deal with is two voices. We don't have to deal with two voices 
ambient crowd noise, video game noise, music, hype man, all these other factors. If we didn't have this video link, if I couldn't see you just kind of like raising your eyebrows or holding up a hand or whatever, it would take three or four times as long. Yeah. You need that kind of physical connection or at least line of sight connection with your co-host to be able to truly throw things back and forth. And that is something that just purely because of the world we are currently existing in, Rab and Frankie didn't have that. And yeah. that's not their fault. And that's not the nope. production team's fault. But it is hopefully something that, ratings and commissioners willing, will be rectified for another run of episodes. Thankfully, despite the fact that I had some quibbles with the commentary, which aren't massive, really, it's actually, it's, it's totally fine. It's, that, that is me being hypercritical of this thing because, you know, we are reviewing this. Thankfully, though, the challenge is great. It's really, really good because Shanghai has been given just enough time to get this done. They make a couple of errors, like they nearly bollocks up a jump right at the start and fall into the lava and, and die. They also mess up a jump later on which costs them a little bit of time. Also, there's a massive cutscene during this challenge as well that starts at like 1 minute 39 left on the clock. And by the time we beat in Bowser, there's 46 seconds remaining on the clock. So there's a lot of time that they have lost just in cutscenes alone. And they do this with two seconds to spare. And it is brilliantly tense and it's brilliantly tight. And it's a, a masterstroke by the production to give them just just the right amount of time that it can be done but is even closer with a couple of errors i'm looking at speedrun.com and i'm looking at the super mario 3d world bowser's fury and i'm looking at level one six bowser's highway showdown now top place on this is 53 seconds that seems impossible i, I suppose there may be a way to like skip the cutscenes well, also, they're not having to get 70 coins. There is that, I suppose, yeah. But, like, the, yeah. the cutscenes itself are, are nearly 50-odd seconds. There are 17 runs submitted here, and number one is 53 seconds. Number two is also 53 seconds. Up until about number 14 is when you hit the two-minute mark. And then number 17 is three minutes and six seconds. So to complete it between two and three minutes... I mean, Shanghai's time would put them at number 15 in this top 17 because number 15 is 2 minutes 43, number 16 is 3 minutes and 4, number 17 is 3 minutes and 6 seconds. And those people there didn't have to get 70 coins. They didn't have to get 70 coins. They weren't playing downwind of a, of a sewage plant. They weren't dealing with a bunch of rowdy gamers chanting flush, 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 flush. And, you know, they weren't playing with their life on the line or the promise of a Games Master golden joystick. I thought it was a great first challenge and I thought the Shanghai came across fan fantastic. I thought they were really, really great. And we also get our first interaction here of Ty interviewing the crowd, which is something you and I spoke about on our Day Out episode. And I wondered on that out loud how much of that will actually make it into the episode. It doesn't look like much of it will. And I do think that's probably for the best. I think what Ty's doing is great. I think the concept is great. I think a bigger audience is needed to get a broader sampling. That That's just down to it. And again, we're back to time, which is not down to production. They just needed to like prep the audience to be like, I'm going to come to you next, say something, like, have something prepped to say. 
because there were times when we even mentioned this. He went to someone who'd be like, oh, don't ask me again. See, I don't even think, it, I, I just think having more people there and the biggest issue that we encountered amongst a number of our listeners who really wanted to get tickets to this recording is, can't make it down at that short notice. It's an issue. I mean, we weren't sure if you'd be there. I might have been going on yeah. my Sweeney Todd right up until I think a couple of days beforehand. And we were in the middle of a petrol crisis. There was one line, and I'm not sure whereabouts it came from, whether it was a little bit of ADR or cut and replace, but I did love Rab just going, sorry, I was distracted by Mario's arse. Because, yeah. I mean, you spend a lot of time looking at it, and he does a lot of cardio. A little wee ass as well, I believe, was the uh, the line <laughs> he used. <laughs> Post-match, Rab is ecstatic, shanghai is relieved, and Rab says, they have something that shanghai wants. It's a prize rarer than a healthy work-life balance in the video game industry. <laughs> Too real. Too real. Shanghai's reaction to that was just like, ain't that the fucking truth? And it's something that I tell you what, no one would have been aware of back in 1992. Oh, God, no. You just weren't. But then again, that kind of, the whole idea of a work-life balance in 1992 was barely a thing anyway. Absolutely not. I mean, I think that work-life balance thing wasn't a thing in 2016 when I was being asked to work ludicrous hours for a job I hated. But here is something that will help that work-life balance, Luke. It is our very first 2021 Games Master Golden Joystick. Which is beautifully mirrored at the back. Like in the, the case that it's in, the, the front three bits are the plexiglass. The back bit's mirrored. It's very nice. Yeah. And I love how Shanghai gets this and they are excited. And Rab's like, yeah, it's going on eBay. And <laughs> Shanghai's like, ooh, no, no, <laughs> no. But it would go for a lot of money. But no, no, but maybe. But no, it's a prize for legends only. And Shanghai is now one of those legends. Great opening challenge. Really, really enjoyed that. Sets the pace for the rest of this episode. And just seeing some of the feedback on that initial challenge, because you could tell amongst various people, be it our listeners or people just on Twitter or in the YouTube chat, they were just going, oh God, it's starting. Oh, that opening bit was good. Oh, it's the title sequence. Oh, thank God. Okay, that was okay. Oh no, it's the first challenge. And then it was at the end of the first challenge, the people that were going to hate it had been hating it before it had even got through the opening segment of Rab's poem. But those that were willing to come along for the ride, they were in, their feet were up, their shoes were off, and they were enjoying the breeze through their hair. And it was a lovely thing to see. This is Beat Saber, an immersive VR rhythm game on the Quest 2 where you must use your sabers to slash the beats of adrenaline pumping music as they fly towards you. Not only must you match the colours of your saber to the beat, red on red and blue on blue, but you must slash them in the direction the arrow's telling you, up, down, left, right. Every wrong move kills that bit more of your health, but nothing damages it more than missing a beat. And come on, you know Ty don't like to miss a beat. Let's dive into Ty's portion of this show. What I've dubbed the VR challenge. I think we're going to get, you know, a few more of these because the show is sponsored by Oculus uh, or Meta Oculus as it, it now is. Um, and this is through a game called Beat Saber, which looks dead hard as it currently is anyway. But on Expert Plus looks nails this is kind of somewhere between rock band and tempest and yeah all in vr and a lightsaber training game i've played it a couple of times and i'm not bad at the old rhythm games luke you may you know may know that you know i do like my rock band i do like my guitar hero i do like my kind of taiko drums and all that stuff i'll shit at this and that was on like easy. We'll get into the challenge in a little bit and we'll like meet Sam Tough. We'll go we'll talk about him first. When the beat drops in that song, 
It's insanity. It's like the Stargate sequence from 2001. It's just like you're <laughs> expecting Dave to be there, just kind of like, oh. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts. So that is the challenge here, is on Expert Plus and get the full combo. And we meet our challenger here, Sam Tuff. He's got 180 records on Twin Galaxies. I had a look at his Twin Galaxies profile, in fact. Here's a nice Games Master connection for you. He is ranked number one on the high score charts of the PAL version of Bubsy in Claw's Encounter of the Third Kind. So he is a gaming legend and also a masochist. It's so weird because you're clicking through. Tetris appears to be Sam's game of choice because he's got a lot of records on various types of Tetris. And then all of a sudden, Bubsy in Claw's Encounter of the Third Kind comes up. And I was like, well... I guess you're also number one on that in the PAL version. It's one of those things. Sometimes you get drunk on a Friday night and you wake up with a traffic cone on the Saturday morning. Other times you wake up and you've clocked in a record on Bubsy. But yeah, 60 world records for Tetris, 180 gaming records overall, plays on all consoles, classic and new, and has found a way to game Space Invaders Frenzy in the arcade to the level where he has won enough tickets to win 11 Nintendo Switches. Insanity. And, like, you know, they make him that, like, oh, man, what this absolute gaming legend that he is. And they have this shot of him practicing playing Beat Saber, and they just pan down to his old man watching him being like, what are you doing, lad? What are you doing bringing your TV crews in here and everything? I just wanted to watch the footy. It made me laugh so much. It's There's a couple of moments in this section when they cut back to him on the green screen really, really popped me. Here's the thing. No one, not even Ty, looks cool doing VR. Nope. You don't. It's not Lawnmower Man. You most of the time just look like you're a man stuck in a phone box trying to swat a wasp. And oh, Beat yeah. Saber is no exception to that. But Sam thinks this could be the biggest gaming challenge of his life. However, before he steps up to the plate, we're going to get some of the Games Master crew trying to see how long they can last. And some of these crew we actually recognise, because I'm pretty sure we spoke to some of them on the day. Certainly did. Six seconds, seven seconds, three seconds. Ty didn't even get a chance to start recording that on his phone. Ty decides to show them how it's done. And in fairness to Ty, 12 seconds, 11 seconds and 15 seconds. He does better than all the others. But even then, he is confident that Sam will not be able to do this. So confident, he's willing to bet his shoes on it. I loved the fact that uh, when I was going through the Twitter feedback to this, and a lot of people were like really putting over the, the VR challenge and stuff, I did see Sam's brother tweeting about this being like, really nice to see my brother on this show, showing up how great he is. So we're playing the song Escape on Expert Plus and looking for a full combo. Starts off pretty nice, pretty, pretty tight. And I think this is why Ty gets to about the sort of 12 second mark, because then the beat kicks in and me sideways. It goes bananas. And Sam is wicked. He is just effortlessly just doop 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 full combo expert plus gets a brand new high score it's wonderful i mean earlier during his interview segment he said you know words are associated with him beast beast is right he nails it and i love the freeze frame ending of jumping fists in the air yeah he got a new high score luke he got a full combo but not only that a bet is a bet Oh yeah, he's even got some trainers to go home in. How does Ty keep getting himself into these situations? 
I love Ty walking off in a half, particularly because he does kind of like Ty's got some big feet on him, and I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just like they didn't look like that big in the in the trainers. Yeah, he walks off in a proper half in his socks. Great comedy, great stuff from Ty. Absolutely lovely. Well, back from the ad break, let's get into our next challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Playing Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the challengers will be working cooperatively to defeat six veteran-level bots, the most difficult bots they can face. They'll be playing on the small shoothouse map that encourages fraught and high-energy engagement. Everyone will have four lives, and they will have a maximum of three minutes to kill or be killed. I'm not massively into the Call of Duty games. I know that people go bonkers for them. It's not my cup of tea. And I think for that reason, that's why I'm, I wasn't massively into this challenge either. And I'll tell you why, it's because I couldn't tell what the <laughs> was going on. But even I can recognize that this looks like it's very, very difficult to do as a challenge. It is. I mean, essentially, what we've got with this challenge is two players co-op versus bots. Something which, I'll be honest, I used to do tons of in Time Splitters. That was always a fun one because you used to end up with two of you playing co-op split screen and then there'd be a bunch of monkey drones. But this is like that, but the monkeys are being controlled by Skynet and aren't monkeys. They are actually heavily armed soldiers. I used to play a lot of Call of Duty, like way back in the day of Call of Duty 2. So we're going back a ways. Uh, It's not that I think the game is bad. It's just not for me. A lot of first-person shooters aren't for me anymore. But I respect the skills involved to get really good at a game like this, particularly to get really good at playing a bot who doesn't cheat. But, you know, the computer is stacking the deck against you. Well, yeah, I I think it's either Gabby or Ems points out later that, like, they can see you through the walls, like they can track your movements through walls, which is why they're even harder to kill when you're on the, the veteran setting. And as far as I can understand as well, what Games Master is set here as the challenge is that everyone has got four lives. So they're up against six veteran bots, which means they've got to get 24 kills essentially by the end. Is that Am I right on that? And they've got eight lives themselves. Yeah, everyone involved, be it bot or person in this challenge, has four lives. Yeah. So Gabby and Ems have four lives apiece and all the bots have four lives apiece. But it means that essentially between them, they need to get 24 kills whilst only losing a maximum of eight lives, four lives apiece. Because for me, that wasn't brilliantly conveyed. So I thought they'd actually won the challenge uh, once they'd actually got up to six kills. So I, I lost track a little bit of what was going on with this, aside from the fact that I, I, I couldn't keep up with this because I'm an old man now and I really struggle to keep up with this game. However, we do have our players. They are Gabby and Ems. Emma is the pro player of these two. However, Gabby's also pretty good at this game. Yeah, they are both streamers and content creators, and as we discover shortly, also a gaming couple. They're both based out of London. Emma's 24, Gabby is 25. Yes, I've looked up their Twitch profile, so I know roughly who I'm talking about. Ems is associated with Cloud9. She's a streamer and content creator for them. They're kind of her gaming family. She mainly plays first-person shooter games. Call of Duty is her favorite. She loves to snipe. We'll hear a bit more of that later. She also likes to stream a variety of games like horror games, Minecraft, GTA. Whatever her audience likes to see, they suggest it. She has a think about it. And she streams every day where possible. Gabby is kind of similar. She streams a variety of games like horror games, Minecraft. She's big up on the story-based games. Her favourite is The Last of Us. So I think of the two, I am 
more in line with with Gabby. I like my story based games. I like my horror games. And uh, she's actually streaming right as we record this as well, because I went to quickly double check her Twitch profile, and she's streaming right now. She's although interestingly, she's playing Call of Duty Warzone. Oh, interesting, because <laughs> that's the COD that I believe has just gone on sale now. Is it okay? I thought it was. I mean, I thought it was Vanguard. I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm so far behind on what the latest Call of Duty is. No, you're entirely right. Warzone came out in 2020, so yeah, so it's last year's March 2020. God, Ash, come on, get get with the program, Ash. That was last year's Call of Duty. I know it's a free to play battle royale video game, so this is kind of like it, it's one of those free. It's a freemium. It's a freemium game. There we go. Honestly, Ash. I really struggled to keep up with what was going on in this challenge. I I don't know if it's just that I'm old and I'm a bit now, but I really did struggle with this one. But one person that didn't struggle was Rab with his banter because back on the gaming level, because I guess we kind of have the abyss, then we have the gaming level above it. He meets Ems and Gabby. That's when it's revealed that they're a couple. Gabby loves Ems for her gaming skills with and, and her nature. Ems just thinks that everything about Gabby is perfect. Couldn't ask for a better girlfriend. And Rab's like, oh, everyone's oh, Frankie's oh, the audiences are. Moving on, what do you like about the murder simulator that is <laughs> Call of Duty? And Ems is like, I'm a grassy knoll dweller. I just love to snipe. She doesn't actually say the phrase grassy knoll dweller, but it was what I wrote in my notes and it made me laugh. To be fair, I'm a sniper in, in first-person shooters when I can, even the single-player ones, because I just like to kind of try and silently take enemies down. Basically, at this point here, they just mention a lot of guns. And it's just like, guns, 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 guns. I'm like, cool, they've got three minutes to do this challenge. Yeah, SMGs are kind of your standard machine guns, sniper, sniper rifle, and that's a loadout that Ems will be using. Gabby will also be using a machine gun and an assault rifle combo, which for various reasons, we all know what an assault rifle is now because um, people. Anyway, Frankie gives the best advice possible and it unfortunately turns out to be their undoing in the end, which is watch out for flanking manoeuvres. That's what these bots will try and do. By God, do they try and flank them and hey, they succeed. And Rab reminds them that while joysticks are up for grabs, two joysticks, Luke, their lives are also on the line. So say your goodbyes now, just in case. There is an audience of people that aren't going to like this show and they're not going to like the show because it's a reboot and they're automatically decided that they don't like it. But they're also going to be a portion of this audience that don't like this show because Shanghai is our first contestant and then we've got a couple here from the LGBTQ community. And that's going to really irk them even more. They'll probably say things like woke or lip or snowflake. I don't know, I don't know whatever they fucking say. If this upsets you, good. I hope yeah, you're good. upset. Yeah, I hope good. you lose sleep over it. And I hope that genuinely it bothers you. Not to the point of you doing anything, because really you shouldn't do anything. But good, if this irks you, you probably deserve to be irked by it. But it's very E4. And I think that's terrific. And I think that's really, really nice. And it's really lovely. And it shows that this is a new era of Games Master where this would not have happened in its original run. I would say it's not even just very E4. It's very world. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very much so. Some of the people that will be offended by the fact that we have a diverse array of gamers on this first episode are the people that will go, well, everyone I know that I play video games, games with is white and straight. I have a very narrow worldview and anything from outside of that worldview either scares me or is just pandering to people. Mate, pandas have got nothing to do with it. You just need to get out more. 
So yeah, I am the old man in this situation, going back to the game. I had to pause it a lot to take notes on this, and I still struggle to follow. I've watched this challenge a few times, and I still couldn't really follow what was going on. Here's what I do know. They racked up seven kills, lost all their lives. The challenge lasted less than a minute. Yeah, Ems started off pretty strong, sniped too. Gabby lost life first, swiftly followed by Ems losing her fast life. And here's the thing, as is said in the post-match, these bots will track you through walls. There is no line of sight at this difficulty. These bots are basically AI killing machines. This really was kind of an impossible task. And the fact that it lasted a minute, I mean, first way, look, if it was me and you playing it, there wouldn't have even been, been the need for any commentary. We would have been killed in 15 seconds flat, four times each. Yeah. We would have been spawn camped to death. So it sucked that they didn't win. But I am not surprised, not because they're bad players, not in the slightest, because the challenge was that bloody nails. This is one of those challenges where victory was far from assured. In fact, it, it was more likely a challenge that was set up with very little chance of winning. I think that might be a case as well, because, you know, when you're putting this episode together, you want your first challenge to be a success. So great, we got that with Shanghai. Also, lovely nod to the first challenge we had back in episode one of series one. But you also want one of your challenges on here to be a failure so you can show the abyss. Now, you're going to get that with the celebrity challenge and our final challenge because that is a player versus player thing. But I think it was really nice to establish it here that sometimes people don't win the golden joystick and they lose and they get put in a cupboard. That cupboard makes you fall past to Trevor McDonald and you fall into lava like the end of Terminator 2. <laughs> and as you said at the beginning of the show, ah, when young love dies, <laughs> they're dead. They're dead. <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> Just, I do love the way he delivers it. Just in case you don't realise, they're dead. <laughs> we killed them. My question to you is, because this is the other bit of feedback I did see a lot of on Twitter, the green screen stuff. Because you see them like fall and they literally go like, uh, like the recorder, like just falling it, you know, not even falling as a green screen, standing in front of a green screen and going, uh, I am falling. And it is like cut out, sort of moved around, very shonky, very janky. It's got, it's intentional though. Like a lot of people were just like, oh, the green screen looks really cheap. And I'm like, I think it's supposed to though. It's funny. Yeah. In the circumstance of this show, this should be funny. I hope it's meant to be funny because I found it funny. I found it in tone. And also, a lot of how good it works depends on the performance of the individuals. Like, Gabby yeah. and Ems were fine. One of the upcoming people is just so hilarious when they uh, meet their demise. And one of them really goes for it. Our last victim of the abyss for this episode. I won't give away who it is, even though you've already watched the episode. Like, they really go for it. They, they, they're great in it. But I loved it. I, I think that whatever decisions were made of this manner were deliberate. They were deliberate stylistic choices. If you didn't like it, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, it works for me. I'm a fan of old school Doctor Who. I'm a fan of Mystery Science Theatre 3000. I'm a fan of Space Ghost. I'm a fan of all these things. I'm a fan of Nightmare. This reminded yeah. me of Nightmare. Sidestep left. Boom. When we went down to record green screen stuff, which we know isn't actually going to be featured in any episodes, I think we can now safely say that. We were told a few weeks back that none of that was actually made it into the edit. And I think all for the better as well that it's not in the edit. Um, but we'll talk about that maybe when we come to the wrap-up episode. But like when we were chatting to uh, the production team about that, one of the things they said was they want it to be cheesy. Like they want the reactions, like when they, you know, the directions that you and I were given on the green screen was ham it up. 
Don't just play it straight. Be a bit, not wacky with it, but don't take it seriously. And I think that's reflected in the final product here. So when people were just like, well, the green screen didn't look particularly great. It's hard to respond back and be like, but it's not meant to look great. It's a hard, it's a hard argument to make. How do you want it to look more realistic? I don't know. I don't know. It was just, it was fun. It was funny. And I think it was meant to be funny. Yeah, exactly. And if Kean hears this and you're like, no, it was meant to be serious. I'm sorry. Sorry. I thought it looked funny. (laughs) Rab is going to some place called Scotland. I think that's in Skyrim. It, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll fast pace. I'll fast track my way there in a moment. Um, I've never played Skyrim, so um, I, I think that's a joke. It's like Castlevania: Symphony of the Night, uh, but with dragons. Okay, cool. Lovely stuff. And released at least thirty different times. So <laughs> yeah. actually, it's very much very like much Castlevania: like Symphony of the Night. <laughs> And this is Rab's review portion of the show. Or actually, as Rab frames this here, it's less of a review and more of, you have walked past this and missed this game. And when you actually look deeper, you'll find something that you missed and it's beautiful. And I think that's a really smart way of tackling the reviews in a TV show format where you don't have the luxury of eight hours to review a brand new game and get out for broadcast. Yeah, and to some people who weren't familiar with rap before this, they were just like, well, this is kind of quirky and this is kind of weird. And to those of us that were familiar with his previous output, be it Consylvania, Videogate, and it's like, oh, oh, okay, cool. This is this is what Rab's bringing to the table because this is what, this is Rab's style of review. He's a writer and this is very much a performance piece of writing and I loved it and I thought it was great and it's one of a number of sections that has his fingerprints all over it and I love them for it but I also love this idea and it's something that I hope we see more of in the next two episodes and fingers crossed in series 8b series 9 series 2 whatever which is don't worry about bringing us reviews of brand new games we live in a world now where games are released physically games are released digitally Games are part of a Game Pass system like Xbox Game Pass or PS Now or whatever you want to do. You can get 15 games a month for $10 on Humble Bundle and all this stuff. I have so many games in my Steam account that I've never even installed, let alone played. A lot of games pass me by. And so to have a show where it's like, we're not going to review the latest and greatest games. We're not going to review something that is bleeding edge. But here's a game you might have missed. Here's a game that might tickle your fancy from earlier this year or last year. Something that you might not be aware of. That's a unique hook. Yeah, absolutely. And that is something that me, as someone who is a gamer, but neither a casual nor what I would call a hardcore gamer, would really, really appreciate. I'm always looking for new games to fail to play. And this first episode of Games Master has given me two more games to add to my wish list, which I will actually probably buy and never play. But that's not Games Master's fault. That's my fault. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so we're looking at Cruising Blast here. Racing game, it's a, a port of an, an old arcade game. And it looks really fun. Really, really fun. It's, a, it's my kind of racing game in that it does not take itself seriously. If I had a Switch, this is what I'd be gravitating towards. This looks like I would want to give it a four-finger special as well. Indeed, four-finger special. Is it innuendo? Is it a Fist of the North Star reference? Why not both? I did like that. I like the analogy with the boat full of sugar being its own little self-contained ecosystem. It was a great 
little section. It broke things up and I was I was kind of down with that. I was kind of cool with that. It was fun stuff. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. We come back from our ad break and it's time for our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Our celebrity challenger will be playing the third-person paint shooter, Splatoon 2. Playing as inklings or octolings, using coloured ink as ammunition, challengers will be in a turf war, with their prime objective being to cover as much turf, meaning ground, as possible with their coloured ink. The challenger who paints the most territory in three minutes wins. The next two challenges we get in this episode are challenges that you and I saw recorded live. Indeed. Now, when we were there for our day's recording, you know, we were shown the set and that was great. And then we just kind of loitered in catering until it was time to go in and chatted to a few people here and there as they came past. But then we saw this guy with this little boy with him and he's walking past and I'm like, that looks like big boy Barry. And also he's carrying a really loud shell suit. I'm fairly certain that's big boy Barry. And the production assistant came by and I said, is that big boy Barry? And they were like, might have been, can't say. Who can, who can say? That was the Aurora, Aurora Borealis <laughs> in the vicinity of this pumping station. <laughs> and, and lo and behold, here we are for the Celebrity Challenge. But it's not just a celebrity playing a game. It's celebrity playing against a resident champion in a section kind of influenced as much by Games World as it is by Games Master, where there were a number of times where there were resident champions to challenge. We mentioned Danny Curley earlier. He was one of them. It's the son of big boy Barry, little lad Larry. He is Games Master's gladiator in residence, and he is here to take on a celebrity at Splatoon 2. Luke, do you know what I know about Splatoon 2? Uh, If it's anything like me, very little. I know that it is very popular with the kids. It's a third-person shooty type game, but it's more about paint than it is about shooting. You have to splat your opponents. There's something to do with squids. I know it's very colourful. It's very fun. But also, it's not a game I'm familiar with. Again, that's not a bad thing. It's just, it's not my style of game. But I know it's very popular. I know that there's a bunch of kind of different tournaments and championships. I know there's a third game set for release next year, 2022. And it's also become one of the best-selling games for the Switch. It's sold in excess of 12.21 million copies. That's no slouch. 
Big numbers. Those are big boy Barry numbers. We know we've got the resident champion. We know we've got little lad Larry. Who is up to play that challenge? It's DJ Snoochie Shy. I, I am 35 years old. I'll turn 36 next month, in fact. I'm not familiar with Snoochie Shy. I can tell you, though, I was very taken by her. I thought she was very, very apple, very lovely. And I've found out through the power of Google that she'll be on this uh, series of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Yeah, I I thought she was a lot of fun. She was very funny. She had an interaction with the Games Master, which I'm not going to repeat. It resulted in Games Master saying a number of things I never thought I'd hear Trevor McDonald to say, and also the expression, big up, mum. Big up, (laughs) mum. That was a massive, like, gut-busting laugh line for me because, again, it shows Trev is game he's yeah, up he's, for this oh he's so in for it and that is it's that is why it works and it's really really awesome so snoochie and ty know each other pretty well by by all accounts as well because snoochie does a lot of like gaming stuff on her show because i think she's got a show on radio one extra and ty's been on there before there's a lot of drinking involved and apparently he got very drunk and he fell on the floor and ty is just like why are you telling this story why are you telling this? And you know, she's like, should have come up to me before this show and told me not to tell that. And then perhaps dives in and she be like, are you even old enough to drink? <laughs> Ty is very, very young. But yeah, I was just looking up some of her credentials because like I do with a lot of celebrities in the classic series of Games Master, where I'm not 100% au fait with them, I go to Wikipedia. And yeah, you're absolutely right. She has a show on BBC One Extra. Uh, she's also a host on Yo! MTV. I don't know. Nope. Luke, I have never felt older oh, than I have oh. right now. So, but, okay, spoilers for an upcoming episode. We've got an interview with Rab, and we have a conversation with Rab in that. I don't know how much of it will stay in the edit, where he was just like, I felt so old on the set of Games Master. And there are going to be times now in these next three episodes where you and I are going to feel very, very old. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, she's live hosted major events, including the MOBO Awards. I know what the MOBO Awards are. I know That's what that good. is. She's also hosted events for Red Bull. I definitely know what Red Bull is. I definitely had a problem with Red Bull in the early 2000s. And uh, including one called Grimerside. She is very, very entertaining. Very, Mm. very funny. She's great with Rab. They talk a little bit about her video gaming time. She loves Mario Kart. It's a guaranteed Thursday night house party for her. I love that she's having house parties on a Thursday night. And if she was going to be any video game character, it would be Lara Croft. But not just any Lara Croft, the OG PS1 era Lara Croft. She still has a PS1 just to play that game because she finds it easier to play. And Rab's like, hang on, shut the front door. That's the harder one to play. He's not wrong. You go back and try and play the original Tomb Raider now, particularly if you've played some of the later ones. It's nails. I literally did two weeks ago because we've got a PlayStation in the office, my PlayStation, in fact, and I've got Tomb Raider there and I booted it up. I've, I've stopped playing Resident Evil 2 for a period of time and I booted up Tomb Raider because I'm like, oh, this will be good. Oh, man, it's hard to go back to. Really, really hard. You've really got to rewire your brain in order to be able to play OG PlayStation, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. And I will do that. And I will get there. But yeah, I, I really struggled with that. Also, like you as well, I'm, you know, very nice to hear that Snoochie Shy has house parties on a Thursday. But I do hope that they are pausing their Mario Kart playing so they can all watch Taskmaster together. Because that's what we're all doing on a Thursday night, right? Oh, mate, always, always watching that Taskmaster on a Thursday night. Anyway, back to Splatoon 2. She's played it, never really gone head to head on it. 
but she did paint her mum's house really badly and feels like that could be an energy she could channel. Big up mum again. This is where we get our introduction to little lad Larry with this video package where it's like 30 years ago, Games Master gave birth to an enigma, a gamer who became a legend. But now the pupil has surpassed the master and he wants blood. His little lad is a, a star in the making. He's great. He's an absolute natural at this. To peel back the curtain a bit, uh, after we saw the taping, because obviously they were trying to keep the appearance of Barry and Larry relatively secret, I dropped Barry a message on Twitter just going, didn't want to put it on open channels, but you guys were great. Your kid is really kind of like, he is your son. You can tell he's your son. That's a chip off the old block. And he really, really is. Also, just in the interest of history, for those that may be slightly confused, less familiar with the old Games Master, because, hey, we may be getting some new listeners off the back of this. Who knows? Technically, Big Boy Barry belonged to Games World, but Alex Very got some major screen time with the Sonic Challenge. In episode two. In episode two, correct. So I wouldn't say it's revisionist history, it's just a case of we're just not going to go into the whole Alex Barry division. We're just going to go. He started on Games Master and the fact that he was just Alex there and then became Barry on Games World. We're just going to scrub over that. It's unnecessary detail, which I've now just added back in. I think so as well. Like I was listening to Alex Barry on Rick Henderson's podcast. Uh, he was on the first episode of, of Henderson's show. And he was talking there about the fact, you know, that first, you know, his first games, gaming appearance was on Games Master in episode two of series one. And he biffed the Sonic challenge right away. Um, he told the story in a retro gamer as well. He literally ran straight into one of the badniks and died within seconds. And he said there was all of a sudden this voice from the production that just said, or from the gallery, in fact, that just said, I'll give him another go. And he basically said, he goes like, that voice gave me my career because he then did that challenge, completed it, and that's what led him on to being a part of Games World. If that, you know, if that man in the gallery there had just gone like, oh, well, that's it, he's done for, we might not have had Alex Ferry as Big Boy Barry coming back here. And I think it's a lovely little tie-in uh, to have Barry on the show. And we were told by someone on the production that, that apparently it came about by they reached out to him to be on the show. And his words were, my kid's way better than I am at this point. And that was when like a light bulb went off to be like, oh, that'll be good though. To have the son of an original Games Master Golden Joystick winner on this show. That'll be terrific. And, I, and I, you know, I think it really has paid dividends now. So Larry comes out with his dad and Rab introduces him to his opponent, Snoochie Shy. And Larry's straight in there with, I'm not shy of beating her on TV. And Barry points out his kid's bling is bigger than hers. And Larry agrees going, yeah, hers is cute. Savage kid. It's really good. Also, yes, everyone, you can see me and Ash at this point as well. They cut to the crowd and there's our mugs right there. It's the only time you can see us in this episode. Oh, no, there was another occasion. We're in it a oh, couple of times. I only noticed there was that point. I just love how the fact that purely unintentionally, because of how much I was concentrating, trying to take everything in, I'm like pipes in Ghostwatch. I'm just loitering in the background, getting ready to possess Michael Parkinson. That's just my entire modus operandi through most of these challenges. But as far as I can tell, we are going to be featuring in at least two episodes, maybe three. That's pretty good. I actually think we might be, you know, because there's a challenge that we saw that is for sure in the final episode. It has to be, based on the story that I think is kind of set up here. But we'll get to that at another point. I remember watching this challenge and there was a couple of people that were like around us as well that were talking about it that 
were not that au fait with Splatoon 2, and so they didn't actually know how the points worked, who was winning, who was losing. And at one point, a guy next to me said, because they announced Little Lad Larry as the winner, and the guy next to me was like, oh, I thought Snoochie won, because... It's the, the, the inkling or whatever they're called in purple is the one that wins. And because Snoochie is in a purple dress, a load of us all put together, put two and two together and got five that she was the one in purple because they never told us who was who. And I thought as well that Snoochie was winning. And it wasn't until the end when they announced it, I was like, oh, I got it the wrong way around. Yeah. And also Larry's uh, kind of like a boxing robe that he's wearing has yellow trim. Yeah. So I, I was the same as you, but also because I guess we were looking at the back of them, but also then turning around to look at the screen. So left and right was also a little confusing on that one. But essentially, this was absolute domination, as Frankie says on commentary. And to come back to your point earlier, clearly they have found a way where things are working a bit better for them at this point because the commentary is much cleaner. They found a a way to make that Victorian screen between them work. As you will discover when we talk to Frankie a little bit later, she's a great talker. She's a great voice. She's a great personality. Like I was knackered when we interviewed her and I came away from it like I just had a couple of shots of espresso, just really transferring energy and joy and vibrancy. And it was it was here and present here. But I've got a slight issue with this and I didn't ha- realise it at the time. And in fact, I didn't realise it until I rewatched it earlier as part of the live stream. Towards the end, Larry is spawn camping. Yeah. He really is. He boxes her into a corner. Like Frankie even points that out is that she is essentially stuck in her tiny bit of yellow uh, yellow that she's created. And yeah, like for the final few bits, Larry just goes, I was like, you ain't getting out of that corner now, mate. You know, I don't want to accuse a small child of poor sportsmanship, but also, whoa, that's a tactic to win. I mean, Busway, you're not going to lose with that tactic. You are not. If you are a resident champion, sportsmanship doesn't matter. You're there to win, baby. Was it cheating? Was it spawn camping? Or was it, as Rab put it, He's just the excellence of execution. I heard you, Rab. I know your little references you're dropping in there, and I very much appreciate them. Same. Absolutely the same. Oh, yeah. Little Lad Larry wins. So I think the scores were 833 to 393, or 38.8% to 12.1%. I don't really know how Splatoon works. All I know is that Little Lad Larry won, but he does not get a golden joystick for his troubles. We should actually check in with Barry and Larry and see if he gets a joystick at all, because the kid deserves it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But Snoochie, post-match, blames cramp in her feet, which Rab says, well, maybe, because it looks like you were playing with your feet. A, a wonderfully typical, like, celebrity excuse for not winning. Oh, I had cramps in here. Oh, my, my arm was in. The joystick wasn't working. I love the idea of, I had cramp in my feet, and that made me bad at the game. But they turn to Larry, saying, you know, so what's the verdict? And the thumb goes, oh, the thumb goes down with a poop. And Rab nods his head sagely as Snoochie is dragged away and dispatched to the abyss with a... Oh, my God! (laughs) It's like Troll 2. I love that. That was such a funny, funny moment. And Games Master's right. Nothing burns like a celebrity. Up next is a segment that I think divided Twitter. There were some people, like me, that loved this. There were some people that didn't quite like this. Educating Grado. All right, Grado. All right, mate. Can I ask you a question? Hi. Do you know anything about video games? No. 
Why are you on Games Master? You tell me. It's this, <laughs> this great two shot between them, filmed in black and white, of just Rab and Grado, so close they could kiss, having a chat with each other, and it's subtitles, because they're that Scottish. The two of them do a podcast together. They've been best mates for years. So they have got a beautiful natural chemistry together. I loved this. There's elements of it that I would have been like, oh, okay, I don't think we fully explored what adaptive music is. I'd have liked to have seen some more examples of it because we get to see Grado play Untitled Goose Game for about five seconds. I'd have liked to have seen a bit more of it there. But just those two chatting to each other in that two shots and it being subtitled and everything like that, I thought was really, really funny. Just Grado being like, oh, I've never seen Jaws. Rab stopping and be like, have you never seen it? And Grado saying like, I, yeah, I've not, but that's another story for another day. It, there's just like all these little bits between them I thought was terrific. The opening line of, do you know much about video games? No, what are you doing on Games Master? And it's just it's that immediate. It just is like okay, yeah, I'm on board for this. And again, we've talked about we've talked about Consylvania and Video Gate, and this again, it's a rap section, and it's great. I was definitely on board. Uh, for those who may not know, Grado, in addition to being Rab's mate, Rab's podcast co-host, uh, is also an actor and a comedian, and most importantly, I suppose, from our perspective, a professional wrestler, a professional wrestler who has managed to achieve notoriety as much through his personality as his work rate and also through his entrance music. We've talked, I think, before about the importance of entrance music and I can't remember whether whether it was on like a regular episode of Under Consultation or UCP Extra. It's come up twice, in fact, once in regular free feed and then once on UCP Extra. Now, although can be sometimes problematic due to copyright when on bigger shows, Grado's music was madonna's like a prayer the place goes ballistic oh it's right up there with derude sandstorm for me for songs that just instantly bring about a massive party reaction from the crowd but i've seen him more recently in scott squad but he is a very very funny very very talented guy and his whole thing through this particularly when it's like do you want to learn more about adaptive music and so they go and play untitled goose game Amazingly, it's a game that has adaptive music, but didn't originally. It was only when the trailer was released that the music in it was so popular because people were like, oh, the music is adapting to what's going on on the screen. It's like, well, actually, no, that's just how the composition ended up matching it. So they then not only contacted the composer to get them to do the score for Untitled Goose Game, they also then had to develop an adaptive music system for Untitled Goose Game to use. And yet it has now become one of the standard bearers of how to implement adaptive music, particularly in an independent game. It's a really, really weird way around things. And this is definitely a game you should play. This is one of the few games on this show that I actually have played. And I really, really enjoyed Untitled Goose Game. We played it a lot on our old Screen Stalker channel when that was still around. And it was basically me and Laurie got it day one, downloaded it, and we played it for hours on air. And it is really really fun very very silly wonderfully quaint and yeah i i highly recommend it and i thought i i really like this segment i thought educating grado and i'm looking forward to more episodes of educating grado within this not as much as i am the next segment that we get in the show when we come back for our, for our final ad break but i i really did enjoy this there is nothing i like more than hanging on a sofa with my pals and playing games Today we're going to try out a game we've never played before and decide if we're going to go home and buy it for ourselves. But anyway, we now move on to a new segment, which is essentially Rab, Frankie and Ty sitting on a sofa, 
having a bit of a laugh over a game, or as Rab introduces it, something that should fill a couple of minutes of your life, and there aren't any minutes in a life. Thanks, Rab. Being north of 40, that, that, that really helps. Cheers, mate. I could watch a whole show of this. I These three playing games together is terrific, and playing this game, this game called Can't Drive This, which Rab perfectly sums up. It's like that bit from Wallace and Gromit's where the wee dog is building the train track as it's racing. And I hate that wee dog. Disagree with them there, because I think Gromit's great. That is a perfect way to describe this game. If you haven't watched this episode, which I'd imagine you probably have, so you, you, I'm, I'm preaching to quiet. You already know what how this game works. One of you is driving a monster truck. The other one of you is building the track as you're racing. Oh my, I will play this for hours when I go and buy this game because I am going to go and buy this game and we are going to play this in the office till the cows come home on our lunch breaks in the chill out zone because this game looks fun as balls this is also a game where there is an online multiplayer component and as long as you've got voice chat I can really see this working because like then you've got a full screen each so the person plotting the map points has a full screen. The person driving has a full screen. And so it's all about communication. And I can see that being, one, a lot of fun, two, costing friendships. But I also think it could cost friendships or family relations in real life. But yeah, this is a lot like Rab's review. It's not necessarily showcasing the newest game. It is showcasing a game that may have passed you by. And I just love this. I love that they're having fun. They're having a bit of a laugh. I know from seeing feedback on this in the discord that a couple of people wishlisted this on their steam or whatever as soon as they saw it because they're like oh this is a great co-op party type game great stuff and you can see it because rab's like you see this it's a real smile it's not That's the fake it. smile i normally put on it's the real smile so they they, they put a likely over frankie's pregnant belly because rab's gonna buy it ty's gonna buy it and frankie's gonna buy it for her unborn child that's how good this game is it made rab smile a genuine smile from Mr. Rob Florence. Like that in of itself is like the most glowing reviewer you'll ever hear. Is it is it trapped gas? Does he need to be burped? No, it's it's a genuine smile. So let's get into our final challenge of the episode. What are we playing, Games Master? This is it. The most bloodthirsty game franchise out there. Mortal Kombat. Challengers will be brutally facing off in the best of three fight on Mortal Kombat 11. I had no idea Frankie was a vegetarian. Absolutely not. But she does like her games meaty and boy howdy, there's a lot of meat in Mortal Kombat and you see a lot of it. And wow, what a brave choice to put on Channel 4 at any time. Because here we are between Series 4 and 5, we've still yet to officially cover the Gore Special. If you want to see us cover the Gore Special... We're doing that as part of our first live show, which is next January, and tickets are still available on our website, underconsultation.com, ka-plug. Mortal Kombat 11 is head and shoulders and other decapitated bits of the body above anything on the gore special. Like, Mortal Kombat 11 is... It is a very, very horrific game, but man, it's also a really, really good game. And when you get two great players playing this game... It is as good as any fighting game. It's as good as any of your Street Fighters. It's as good as any of your King of Fighters. It's top-tier one-on-one fighting action. And we get a quick rundown of the game from the Games Master saying that, you know, this is it. This is a challenge. This is a game. And these are our contestants. And we meet Ketchup and Mustard, 
who are clearly a bit disorientated by the sudden temperature change of going down towards the abyss because they're like, well, where are we? And Game Master's like, no, big head over here. Look, look, giant. There we go. There we go. I love these guys. Oh, I'm not just saying that because we're about to speak to them. I wrote in my notes here, these guys are pros. And I thought this when we were actually on set for this challenge as well. The second that they come out and they start talking with Rab, they've got spiel. They've got rapport. They know exactly what to say. They know how to deliver what they're going to say. This is how good they are at doing this. I think they're absolutely tremendous. We mentioned it in the interview as well. I My first introduction was them as a, at an Injustice 2 press event that I went to. And I was mad impressed with them there. And I was speaking to a guy that I hadn't actually met before. And he was like, oh, these two are awesome. And I've been keeping track of them there. And I've also madly now got into ketchup's youtube channel and i've watched loads of his videos about this i've really really become quite enamored with these two and i love them on this show and in this challenge and i think when they came out and when they were setting up for this challenge either you lean to me or i lean to you and one of us said to the other we need to try and interview these two like it was just a case of these guys would be fun to talk to and we did and we will but because of editing it's going to sound like we're just sliding straight into it because we're pros Luke and so are these two and I knew these two were also pros because when we were sat in that catering area before the recording began they walked past us and one they were color coordinated ketchup in the red mustard in the yellow and they had joy pads that were also color coordinated these guys have a brand and they know how to work it And also, despite not having a single clue who we were, they nodded and they smiled at us, which I appreciate. That is a pro move. Nice chaps that they were. Really, really good. And they're great in this sort of like opening spiel as well that they've got with Rab. You know, talking about how they're pros. And what I I love about this, and we hear a little bit more from them when we have our interview, like they are having so much fun on this set, in this challenge. And they genuinely want the other one to win and wouldn't be disappointed if they were the one that lost. And that's really sweet and lovely. Although, when it comes to being in front of the camera, Ketchup just says, it's not so much about me winning, it's more about wanting Mustard not to win. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. But there is that moment, spoilers, where Mustard wins. There's genuine, like, happiness on the face of Ketchup that his brothers won this. It's adorable. Absolutely. One of the things Ketchup points out here is something I'm totally guilty of, which is like common mistakes and things people forget when it comes to fighting games, is people forget to block. When I started playing Street Fighter 4 a lot, and I didn't do tournaments, but I played it online a lot, and I actually started watching tutorial videos and reading guides because I wanted to get better, I had to teach myself how to block. Because I know how block works in Street Fighter, we both do. You hold back. In Mortal Kombat, it's a button. But you have to teach yourself to go, oh wait, no, I can block, because while I do take a little bit of damage, it's okay, because it gives me a window to strike back. It is part of actually kind of, I guess, a martial arts discipline, or a fighting discipline, or MMA, or boxing, or whatever, but I'm just a schlub with a joypad. So you do have to kind of learn these disciplines. And so when he said that, I was nodding, going, yes. I still make that mistake. Do you know, my biggest defenseless lesson that I ever took was playing X-Men versus Street Fighter on the PlayStation. And for whatever reason, just really struggling against Apocalypse. Like whenever I would get to Apocalypse, I just really struggle against him. I would be fine throughout the rest of the game. I just couldn't really figure out, particularly with some characters, the best moveset to use it in order to defeat Apocalypse. I was young, I was stupid. I could probably do it now. Actually, I say that, I probably couldn't do it now either. I'm much worse now than I was then. However, 
I learned quite quickly on. Jump up, kick in the face, do some damage, go into the corner, hold down backwards and block, and he'll just let him attack you. Because he hasn't hit me yet, I take no damage whatsoever. I just run out the clock. That's how I win. That's how I can get those endings. See, for me, my, my big weak point was Sagat on Street Fighter 2 on the SNES. M. Bison, I was fine. Sagat, because he had the up and low tiger. Absolute. That was the one where I really failed to grasp the difference between crouching block and standing block and when to use them. And so, the thing is, Sagat was great at just manipulating you with that. Oh, God, still makes me angry. I'm fine at Street Fighter 2 now and on, on any other platform. But Street Fighter 2, vanilla Street Fighter 2 on the SNES, still rankles me a bit. So we've got Ketchup playing as Rain and Mustard is playing as Frost because the characters that they usually play as uh, aren't actually in this game, which is a bit of a shame for them, I suppose. But at least there are some transferable skills to be used within this. And it's quite nice to see that, granted, it's being shown at 10pm on E4. So they don't have to really shy away from the bloods. They sort of still do. Like whenever there's a really bloody moment, it's more of a crowd shot, but you can see the big screen showing off the gore. But they do they don't really shy away from it a lot. And that was really cool to see. Yeah, I think they aired on the side of caution, but they still showed like put this way, you could still tell what was going on. Exactly. And whenever we do a challenge, we try and describe what's going on. We give a bit about the back and forth and any highlighted moments. All I'll say is, you should have watched this episode by now. You know what happened. Go back and watch it again. I was absolutely glued to the screen when we saw this being filmed. I was glued to the screen when we saw the press copy. I was glued to the screen watching YouTube earlier. If you're listening to this on the free feed, you'll be hearing it after the episode airs on E4. I can guarantee at like 10.50ish on Wednesday night, I will be glued to the screen again because you're not just seeing two people who are good at Mortal Kombat 11. You are seeing two people that know each other inside and out. They know how the other plays. That just means this match goes back and forth so well it's one round a piece it goes to the third round and even that round is just tense you think it's all going ketchup's way but then mustard just comes back and here was the big question as soon as we were in that studio and we saw this game coming up it's like they're not going to do a fatality even if this is going out late they're not going to do a fatality and we i think we said to each other they're going to do a friendship it seemed like the logical thing to do and lo and behold Dun, dun, dun. And I do love actually how Ketchup just goes, ah, oh, friendship. I, I, I love that because it was just like, it was a great shout to the audience just in case some people not as familiar with Mortal Kombat didn't know what was, what was happening. It's the pro that he is because you can feel that ripple in the audience where they didn't quite fully understand what had happened. Because being there live for this, when it went finish him, the crowd essentially did this. Oh, waiting for the killer blow to be like the, hey, you know, when like, I don't know, someone's tits fall off or whatever, the decap, you know, do whatever the, the finishing blow is. <laughs> do you know what? There's a lot of finishing moves in Mortal Kombat, Look, I cannot off the top of my head think of any moves which end with, and then their tits fall off. Call me Netherrealm, Mortal Kombat 12. And... <laughs> <laughs> like, so when friendship happens, there's this ripple across the audience that goes... So Ketchup turns around and goes, friendship! And the crowd then kind of figure it out. It is really smart. And it's an excellent, such an excellent choice on their part. But we go to the post-match. And I love how throughout all of this next section, the friendship, which essentially Frost doing some ice skating pirouette ballet stuff, is just looping repeatedly in the background all the way through this next section. And that made me laugh as well, because I'd completely forgotten that about the day of recording. 
because even when this bit finishes, it was still actually running in the studio for another two, three minutes. We go to the post-match. The audience interactions with Ty here are like, oh, awesome, brutal, gruesome. And Ketchup concedes that Mustard is better than him at Mortal Kombat, where Mustard's like, well, thank you. And Ketchup is like, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> they both agree that Ketchup did pull off some cool combos, but combos, Luke, they're not enough to secure a Games Master Golden Joystick, which Mustard is legitimately overjoyed to be holding. It's also not enough to save Ketchup from the abyss. So I did spot myself in this moment here because this this set of came quite later in the taping that we were into. And you know, I was starting to lose my voice as well. Yeah. If you go back and watch this episode, you can see that my heart is not in this flush. It's uh, uh, you are giving it all bells and whistles. I'm less so in this one. Ashamed, ashamed of myself, I am. I am just sort of like, and I, I'm pretty sure at that point I was also just mouthing the word flush because I was worried that I wouldn't be able to speak for the rest of the taping. Well, you know what, mate? With experience comes pacing. That's all I'm going to say. I just love oh, to yeah. pace myself. I love Ketchup's bit of business, which we wouldn't have seen at the recording because, of course, he was inside the abyss chamber, which he's all smiles and he just wipes his hand over his face and he goes stony, stony face. Popped for that. Here is a dude that knows how to sell falling into abyss. There's years of playing Mortal Kombat at play here. There really is. So my, my question to you, Ash, is do you prefer mayonnaise over ketchup and mustards? I know that ketchup, to- ketchup told us to leave Twitter because this was brought up. But do you prefer ketchup over mayo? Or what, what do you go for? I like ketchup and I like mustard, both the condiments and the people. But if you give me like a nice like kind of pot of chips plate of chips like not necessarily french fries but like you know decent thick cut chips chip shop chips Mm -hmm. and a nice pot of mayo maybe garlic mayo oh yeah i'm i'm with the games master mayo over ketchup and mustard and as i pointed out to them if you're asking us to leave twitter that feels like a reward not a punishment (laughs) when i was in Reykjavik uh for my uh honeymoon there was a place called Reykjavik chips does what it says on the tin you just go in there you get a massive portion of chips and then there's just like loads of different sides that you can get like sauces and whatnot and i was always a mayo-based side man and it was always delightful so yeah i'm in agreement with you as much as i love all three i kind of do lean more towards the mayonnaise side of things for me chips but thankfully we hadn't stated that when we spoke to ketchup (laughs) and mustard so they were agreeable in speaking to us which we're going to throw over to now we are now joined on Under Consultation by Ketchup and Mustard, who we've just seen compete uh, on Games Master. First of all, congratulations uh, to you, Mustard. Ketchup, Abbott, you're looking uh, much better after your visit to the Abyss. Uh, how was it for you? Yeah, man, it was all right. Uh, we've, you know, working in esports, I'm sure I've been through worse. <laughs> uh, so uh, just a great experience and, you know, close games all around, but... Uh, overall just a lot of fun do you actually have the games master golden joystick to hand were you able to take one home or was it a case of they would send it out to you later uh we took it home on the day they they absolutely had them there waiting for the winners of the challenges because um the ones you see on the show like the, the one that you see me holding up in the box with like you know the mirrored back that is the one that i was able to immediately take back with me like it's downstairs it's in my living room and it's going to stay there amongst any other kind of cool display or trophies or uh, anything like that that i'm proud to display because uh 
definitely, definitely happy to have one, especially <laughs> um, considering, you know, uh, that the reboot was not a, a huge amount of episodes, not a huge amount of challenges. So I feel like it's almost like a bit more exclusive. So uh, I'm definitely happy about that. Just to give a bit of a background to our listeners, because obviously you are very well known in the competitive fighting game. You're well known as commentators in the Mortal Kombat scene. But you got your pro gaming start in 2011 with the release of Mortal Kombat 9. And uh, I believe it was actually as part of a pre-launch tournament that NetherRealm were running. So this was technically, I think, the first time we ever had you know, I guess, like, competitive gaming chops, as it were. Like, the first game that we started sort of really thriving in, like, a player-versus-player sense when it comes to fighting games was Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, because it had a Xbox Live Arcade launch, it had decent netcode, and it's like, holy crap, I can play this game that I grew up with online against people, and that's cool, you know. But then we weren't tournament-minded. We didn't even know what competitive gaming really was. In hindsight, we weren't even, like, decent at it. Like, no, we, we were terrible. We, we, we learned a bit how to play from the other players that were on at the time, but we weren't good in the grand scheme of things. But it was the first time that the two of us started, like, actually caring about playing online, you know, fighting games yeah. with people. Um, but not even online, it was the PvP sense. But then obviously came the, the, the launch stuff or the, the preview stuff. Yeah, so Mortal Kombat 9 had a demo pre-release and it had like four characters and they announced they were doing like a, a UK tour and it was like, hey, if you win this, you win a, a Mortal Kombat arcade machine. And it was in like the window because we were in Norwich at the time for university. And we see this in the window and we're like, oh yeah, I want to enter that. That's wicked. Uh, it turns out it was part of like a UK tour that had like eight different stops i won the norwich one but to be fair again just for complete clarity it was a demo tournament so like you know you get a mixed bag of people there really wasn't an established competitive mortal Kombat scene it was just anyone that was there um so it was a very different time i think compared to you know what it is now 10 years later but uh, long story short, winning that took me to Birmingham. Uh, the NEC is at the Gadget Show. I think they had the finals for it. Uh, was part of a greater European thing where other people in Europe had won theirs. Um, so I won the UK qualifier and then I won the European qualifier. And the big thing actually about that event was uh, our dear good friend, Ryan Hart, was there. And basically, we obviously didn't know who he was at the time, but uh, he was there. He'd won the London qualifier, as expected. And he, he kind of just said to us, you know, you guys know there's 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 tournaments all over for these games. Like in Mortal Kombat 9, it's going to have a bunch of tournaments in the UK. You should definitely go to them. And uh, we essentially took him up on it. We started looking online for all the different events that were happening. And it turns out London had a fair amount, you know, done by the... Uh, Neo Empire, I think it yes, was. Yes, it was Neo Empire back then. Yeah, that, and that was a while ago. kind of the start of it, really. And then we ended up just playing through a whole bunch of tournaments for MK9, traveled to Europe, traveled to America once. And then after MK9 came a bit of a break because uh, Europe didn't really take to the first Injustice all that well. I think Europe's definitely been more of a Mortal Kombat territory than Injustice. So a lot of us kind of just took a back seat after the first year of the first Injustice and kind of went back to chilling with MK9, whatever. Jake and I were working for Rockstar at the time, uh, just doing game testing for a year. And then Mortal Kombat X is coming out, and that's when we start doing commentary. And uh, it, that was, I think, really the big kickoff. So 2015 was when we started doing commentary professionally. We were entering tournaments when we could, because back then you were allowed to enter tournaments and commentate events sometimes. It really depended on what event it was. Um, so it's been a, it has been a, a pretty crazy time with all the different games that came out. 
I think that was actually my introduction to you both um, was I was at the press event for Injustice 2 and they were doing like a tournament thing there amongst all the journalists and stuff. And I think you guys were doing the commentary. Was it, you don't do the commentary for the whole thing. It was just the final, wasn't it? I think you were doing the commentary for. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that event. That was, um, that was the first time we'd seen like, I think the day one version of the game too. Cause like, you know, we knew all the, at that point, uh, I think everyone knew what the roster was. I can't remember if they'd kept anything secret, but yeah, we'd kind of had a little bit of a mini mess around before everyone jumped in just to be like, oh God, Black Adam's got these new moves. Let's try them out. Well, that was definitely one of the more interesting elements to, to, to being involved in the competitive side from not only, of course, the absolute, you know, FGC grassroots. And, and you know, what I mean by that is the traditional sense of a fighting game tournament where it's just, it's an open entry, you know, sign up online, turn up in person and play. There's no qualifier. There's no uh, reserved spots. It's just the open grassroots fighting game scene that we all know and love. Um, and doing that for as long as we have, but also the more corporate side where, you know, through Brian winning the MK9 promotional event, which was, a you know, again, you had, you kind of go from like the local qualifiers, which is a bit more casual to the UK final, which is a lot more serious. And then you've got the European final after, which is incredibly serious. You kind of experience all that in one go. But doing all that and then leading into the more corporate side of things, you start doing like the press stuff with Warner Brothers. We have a, had a great relationship with them for 10 years in the UK and we've worked with them many times on like preview events and press stuff like that or uh, influencer opportunities like um, it's, it has been a tremendous amount of fun and it's been so fascinating to see it all working out fighting game wise I, uh, I made it to the quarterfinals of that tournament and I was knocked out because I, I thought I was playing it fairly by choosing randomly every single time and so I went up against a guy who'd been like mainlining as Catwoman and absolutely destroyed me because he knew exactly what he was doing and I was like oh man i just got aquaman i've never played as him before i thought we were all just picking random i thought this was going to be a fun thing the interesting thing about that for injustice as well is that was the first time that the new like especially in like what we call like the nether realm era which is like mortal kombat 9 when it was like nether realm studios and not midway like it was for decades before um the interesting thing about that for injustice though is it was the first time they'd made a, a, a new version of a game that is what we call like a legacy fighting game where it played almost exactly the same as the first Injustice on like face value, you know, the same button config that the returning characters play extremely similar, almost like a, almost like a, like a kind of Tekken or Soul Calibur approach where you could pick up a Tekken 7 and do strings that have, that characters had in, since like Tekken 2 or Tekken 3 or whatever, you know what I mean? So if that was a Catwoman player at a preview event, they might have only just picked that you know, the Injustice 2 up for the first time there at the press event but because they played Catwoman in the first game, all that knowledge would then come through and still be applicable to two. And, you know, it was it was interesting to see them go that way because it definitely created that interesting early dynamic of those who'd pick it up and, you know, those who were a bit newer to it. I think you said in the your interview, like your pre-match thing that you did with Rab um, on the show, that you, it wasn't like Mortal Kombat 9 was your first experience with Mortal Kombat. You played a lot of Mortal Kombat before that. So like, what, yes. what was your like early days of, of Mortal Kombat? The two of us have played Mortal Kombat our entire lives. Um, yes. I think the first serious video game that we remember being like heavily impacted by, because we'd played games before that, like we had the NES. Uh, our first ever console was the Amiga. Um, you know, we had Adam's Family on that. We had a RoboCop game that we just couldn't beat because it was too hard. Our mum had bought that thing secondhand. So like 
most of the games only had one floppy disk and you were lucky if it was the first one that actually let you boot the game. So like that was always a huge mixed bag. And then Super Nintendo comes out. Uh, our mum buys it off our cousin and he has Mortal Kombat 3, like the vanilla MK3. Uh, we didn't even know there was an Ultimate MK3 until years later, you know, when we were children. And that was, I think, the first introduction to, I'd say, fighting games as well as Mortal Kombat. I think the two most impactful fighting games that really got us to love the genre back in the Super Nintendo days was MK3 and Killer Instinct. Like they were the two games that really went hand in hand. And it's kind of crazy because we still play those games to this day. Now, you know, we jump on and play KI Classic. and It's like this game is sick. So it was Mortal Kombat 3 back in the early 90s when we were like kids. And we were kind of hooked from that point on because then after that came Mortal Kombat 4 on the N64. Uh, and then the wave of the 3D games. I think the 3D games are what really set us onto being huge fans. It's it's worth noting that we are at the moment we're both 29, so yeah. we were kind of just a, I would say a couple of years late to being able to kind of experience the arcade wave of of fighting games in that era. Because even though we're technically of that generation, we are still a couple of years late to kind of really experience it properly. So. Despite Mortal Kombat having that rich arcade history with its competitive and PvP, even in the UK, you know there would have been arcades around you know, London and, and certain cities that would have had a scene. Um, we were thoroughly console Mortal Kombat. You know that is where we experienced the entire genre or the franchise as well. And it was always just playing against each other, playing against you know uh, family, like brothers, our cousins. Um, friends, and it was always console Mortal Kombat, 3D MK is a huge part of it. Um, and then, you know, going into the, the later midway days into eventually NetherRealm Studios. We definitely remember being in that kind of no man's land that I think a lot of people relate to when MKDC came out and then everyone knew that Midway just went out. Oh, yeah. Mm. And we're all sitting there in limbo like, is this going to be the last Mortal Kombat? Like, is the last MK experience that we're going to get like Armageddon? You know what I mean? Because that really was the only Mortal Kombat that came out before that point. And it's like, well, what are we going to do now? What? That was a, a funny one. Then MK9 gets announced and it's like, you know, the game we've always wanted. So... Uh, you know, I guess the extreme short story is Mortal Kombat for a lifetime. I mean, I confess my history with Mortal Kombat is I kind of dropped off after 3 or Ultimate MK3 and I didn't get on with a lot of the 3D games until 9. Not only yeah. because I got on with the mechanic, but because suddenly they were trying to make sense of the story, which is the probably the bravest undertaking you could ever take with Mortal Kombat is to look at everything that went before and went, right, how do we make this work? I'm, I'm a story gamer. I love fighting games, but I'm a story gamer. And it was the first time I think a Mortal Kombat game had actually got me hooked based on the story. Mm. I think Mortal Kombat 9 still has, I think, our favorite story of all of them, um, because you, know, you look at just how much was expanded and introduced. I think it was a good call that it starts off by the ending of Armageddon, right? Because Armageddon had like 64 characters in it. Everyone had their own stuff going on. Um, you know, they kind of kept it simple and just had, hey, Shao Kahn's going to win. We're going to rewind all the way back. But the funny thing about the 3D games is they were always significant in their own way, just not really mechanically. Like those games, you know, I don't want to get too technical by all means, but they weren't really serious competitive games. They had their competitive communities. Like Deadly Alliance was, at the time, it was just called Mortal Kombat 5 by the community. And you'd see it mostly in North America. It had a few tournaments in uh, 
essentially sharing the space with other established 3D events. Um, the venue would have like Soul Calibur 2, it'd have the Dead or Alive at the time, it would have, I think, Tekken Tag, I can't remember what Tekken it was. And then Deadly Alliance was there just kind of as the extra game and then people on forums would go and play. And then Deception was the introduction of like clan battles because it was the first Mortal Kombat that had online uh, mostly for PS2, so you'd have a lot of people playing online and not offline. And then Armageddon was very much the same, but Armageddon was just a completely jumbled, broken, for me, amazing experience, but for most people, uh, not as good as Deception. So you had all these different kind of like communities come together through all the different ones. And uh, the story was, I think, still the, the most standout thing for lots of us because it's all the conquests and stuff. You can explore the lore. You know, you can become a fan of everything that isn't the mechanics because the mechanics were probably the weakest. Uh, has it always been competitive gaming uh, between the two of you? Has there only been like room for, for co-op gaming or have you ever enjoyed any of that? Absolutely. It's 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 definitely one of those things where if you work in competitive and your life becomes like, you know, if you work in esports, you kind of live and breathe competitive in anything. And this is not exclusive to the games that we do. It's, you know, ask anyone in the esports space, they'll say something similar. You kind of, from that point on, it becomes a little harder to enjoy games casually because you just look at games in a different way. However, one thing that has never been touched by our, you know, esports adventures and career that we've, you know, built over the last 10 years has been our ability to play games casually together. Because, we, yes, we are lifelong Mortal Kombat fans, and we have had um, an incredible amount of time together playing against each other. Not always competitively in the sense of, like, tournaments and high level, just competitively against each other, right? Like, I'm going to beat you because I don't want to lose to you. I'd rather win, or whatever it is. That kind of sibling rivalry, right? But when it comes to casual stuff, like, I mean, co-op games, some of our fondest memories growing up, you know, especially of like the N64 era, like early GameCube, PlayStation 2. Um, yeah, funnily enough, um, to kind of mix the two, we actually, uh, so if you're familiar with speedrunning or the, 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 the general practice of speedrunning, we actually speedrun the co-op Mortal Kombat game, Mortal Kombat Shaolin Monks for the PS2 that came out, you know, 20 years ago, however long ago it was now. It was a lot of my university years were spent playing that game. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And um, that game is a co-op game, fully co-op, you know, and it, it plays really well. And we actually do that together. You know, for, we started off doing it casually just for fun. Then we started doing some serious times and we held the world record for it for quite a while. We pretty much invented the co-op run, which is quite <laughs> fun. No one had done it at the time because like at the time, like Parsec wasn't really used all that much and we lived near each other. Oh no, at the time we lived together actually. And we're like, ah, screw let's take a look at the single player strats and just see how we can turn it into co-op and uh, it was a fun time it's such a totally different run now to when we used to do it but that game is actually sick you i mean you mentioned your your age being you know 29 which means you would have been very young when games master first aired so i mean well like did you ever did you see it in its first run at all or was it something that you kind of discovered later on in life through like the gaming chat so we um we do have some very fond memories of watching games master but it never would have been right as the episodes were out so we only would have been able to catch episodes if they were like re-ran on like late night or random times like that would have just popped up on tv or if we were like visiting family and they had cable and they had like you know whatever channel i can't even remember what channel it would have been that it would have showed on um that would have shown like repeated episodes or things like that and then of course you know as the internet became more of a normal thing we're able to like go back and catch up and watch episodes online or bits and bobs on youtube so 
we do remember really enjoying the show, but it never would have been right as it came out because we were we were a bit too young to kind of catch it in its immediate you know um, presentation to, to to the world. It's just it's so interesting as well because like the, you know you were mentioning that the two games that you were really into were Mortal Kombat and Killer Instinct, and those are like massive mainstays of Games Master in its later years, particularly like from Series Five onwards. There's a lot of like Mortal Kombat, like particularly Killer Instinct, getting high combo challenges um on the arcades um but yeah like it was it, it's how were you then approached for for this new series to be honest with you getting approached to work on games master was a very very similar process to just getting hired for gigs hired for work events we're both freelance professionals uh we have you know work contact and we just got an email you know we got an email from someone saying hello we can't tell you what it is because it hasn't been announced yet but there's something that we'd we'd like you to be a part of. Are you interested? And that really was it. Uh, we had an idea over what it could have been, um, because I think everyone in the UK, if you get approached to do a, an unannounced video games TV show, you know, you, you're kind of always thinking, is it Games Master? Because you know, there'd always been kind of talks of Games Master for a while. Well, especially considering it was worded as returning UK games TV yeah, yeah, show. Yeah. So that the second we saw that, we we did have a hunch as to what it might be. Um, but yeah, it really was just a simple case of that. You know, it was uh, as as we do in the the freelance space, whether it's content, whether it's commentary, whether it's hosting, whatever it is that they want us for, whoever it may be. You know, our, our contact information is out there. It's easy. It's easy to get in touch. And uh, it was a simple case of yeah, email us saying yeah, sure. And uh, here we are. For us, it was really just the process of of doing the show because you know everything beforehand was very easy. It's it, it's stuff that we've done at this point it must have been hundreds of times over. Um, because we've been doing events for 10 years. But this is always the thing I think about is that you know, we've been doing shows for 10 years. We'd even done TV before. You know, I think the last time we were doing TV was uh we were commentating the Injustice 2 Pro Series finals in its first year. That was live from Hollywood. They had like a big venue and stuff like that. And that was airing on ESPN. And Jake wow. and I were the commentary duo for that. So um, that was the last time we'd done TV. So following the different rules and especially like the time frames, because it was live TV as well. You know, you've got someone in production with like a little stopwatch and they're in your ear saying like, you know, whether you've finished your sentence or not, like we're going to break in five, four, three, two, one. So you kind of have to time your words to make sure that by the time the timer is done, you've finished a coherent sentence and then they can cut to break without it looking really awkward. But that was the last time we'd done TV. This was totally different. You know, 10 years of events, this is unlike anything we've ever done. And it is, I think, I think I speak for me and Jake, one of our favorite things that we have ever done. It was so much fun. Easily. Um, Not just our portion, but, you know, seeing the recording, watching the hosts do their thing. You know, we've been friends with Frankie for a long time. Love Frankie to bits. She absolutely crushed it. And, you know, the crowd getting behind it. It was it was a really, really, really fun show. Everyone did a good job. It was really polarizing just how different, though, between live TV and taped TV is. You know, especially when you've done as, as many events as we have. Like, when you're doing live and it's, like, for TV, it is super stress, super high pressure. You are absolutely being marked down to the second, like, right, got to do this, got to do that, got to do this, got to do that, like, you know, like Ryan was saying. And it is incredibly stressful because you're going out to TV, you're going out to literally hundreds of thousands of people, and then you've got on demand, and that's even more. Um, And then you have, like, taped TV, which has all the bells and whistles, like, the amazing production value, the set, like, everything looks incredible. But I could not have felt more relaxed, you know? 
like obviously it watches a such a fast paced like you know high energy show because it is and when the challenges begin everyone's getting really into it we're back in the green room watching it on the tv and you know we're popping off because we want to see how it's going and we're you know we're rooting for the people that we want to win but only in between and even while they're setting it up like everyone was just the epitome of professional and chill and relaxed and you would never have you know guessed that it would feel that way but it was supremely comfortable yeah i mean i think both myself and luke have done a number of different tv tapings for different things and a lot of times it's like oh god we're gonna have to laugh in the same place if it's a sitcom for the fifth time in a row and this joke's getting progressively less and less funny every single time (laughs) games master despite the fact that we were standing for the entire process and despite the fact that i chose really stupid shoes where my feet started to cramp up by the end (laughs) it it never it, it the energy was constant and the excitement was there and i don't think it's just because you know we're two games master nerds who were just super hyped to actually be there and see the show being made but i yeah i just absolutely 100% agree and I, i'm it's weird you know disclosure we're recording this before the episode's aired even though you're hearing it after the episode's aired but i'm really hoping that energy in the room translates across i'm confident it will yeah i mean particularly for your guys challenge because i think there was also an edge of oh my god they're doing mortal combat like cuz Games Master used to be 6.30pm and yeah, they did Mortal Kombat, but they did Mortal Kombat 1 and 2 where it was gory, but also it was cartoon, you know, digitized sprites. Modern Mortal Kombat are a level above and even if we don't get a fatality finish, which... I do have a question about it a bit later. The level of violence in there, because we had no idea when the show was going out at the time, and there was a real kind of murmur amongst the crowd when they saw Mortal Kombat being queued up of, oh my God, have they like turned the gore off? Oh no, they haven't. Yeah, this was a this was actually something that we were thinking about before we even like traveled for it. So we are no stranger to the mature nature of Mortal Kombat being professionally problematic. Uh, When you do big tournaments, obviously um, certain sponsors won't be able to support it because, you know, they can't support, you know, 18 rated products. They don't want their logo appearing in the corner while Scorpion rips Sub-Zero's head off. Yeah. Yeah. So like that that's a thing that we've just been passively almost desensitized to not only the violence of Mortal Kombat, but the consequences of that violence professionally. So like you kind of just forget about it almost. Um, but we've seen it many, many, many times. And when it comes to TV, we had the exact same thoughts as everyone else of how is this going to work? Um, and we we talked about it with the team. And uh, I think I might even answer the potential question you're going to ask before we've even asked it. Uh, we did a friendship at the end of the fight. Uh, that was 100% actually our idea, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> because um yeah it was uh one of those things where you have to accept some of the violence because if you're playing mortal Kombat 11 you need to do crushing blows because they're a huge part of the game and if you choose not to use them a massive part of everyone's like utility just disappears especially with the two characters that we were playing like frost and rain they really need those crushing blows to be to be good and to have a good match. So we're like, well, we're doing those, and if whoever's editing this doesn't like it, I didn't cut to an audience reaction or something. But I want to win. So there was definitely that that element of things. But when it comes to the finishing moves, I definitely think everyone in the crowd was expecting it, uh, especially when it goes dun 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 dun, and it goes goes dark. But Jake and I, like, oh no no, whichever one of us wins, no, we're doing a friendship, and we did. And I I, I audibly heard the crowd. At at the same time go oh 
Yeah, I, I, I was part of that R. <laughs> <laughs> I was also relieved to a degree because I was just like, there was no way they were going to actually be able to show any of these finishing moves. It doesn't matter what time it goes out on terrestrial television. It actually did take a surprising amount of setting up because you can't that was do the most problem solving we did yeah. was getting the two accounts on there. Well, like the, the funny thing about it is to do a friendship normally, the only real requirement is that you don't block in the winning round. So you don't take chip damage. You know, obviously, it's a block button game. You press a button to block um, and you take chip damage in Mortal Kombat, which is damage. If you block an attack, you'll still take a tiny amount of the damage. So basically, if you win the winning round without blocking and taking that chip damage, you do you know, the friendship input as a normal fatality input and it will come out instead. But obviously, we're playing to win and we kind of have to balance that they find that balance between like because it is like like ryan said it is obviously mortal kombat is there we love the violence of mortal kombat you know if you're a casual fan of mortal kombat it's not the reason you play it but you know it, it has a certain stylistic appeal to it um you know it's that's not to say that we dislike the graphic content because it is it's part of mortal kombat you know mortal kombat is not mk without that but when you're working with it, especially like like this on TV, and we know there are issues with even digital violence and fake violence, it is something you have to consider, which is why we had those conversations to begin with. And they were already thinking about it. It, w- it wasn't like we turned up and said, hey, this game is a bit violent. Then they were like, oh, no, really? Like they, 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 already, they already were having those discussions. They just didn't know the specifics about what they could do about it. They were still in that phase. And we were able to say, like, look, well, you can do friendships. If you go on the store and you buy easy fatality tokens, which exist as a method to letting very extremely casual players do fatalities without any form of input, they are a thousand percent optional. They are, to be honest, quite a worthless microtransaction. They simply exist. If if you're at a party and you've got like 10 friends around that don't play games and you just want to do some Mortal Kombat fatalities for like the social aspect of it, you just spend 50p and buy 10 of them. We were like, look, we will literally buy these tokens because the good thing about them is they let you do the friendship without the requirement of not blocking. So if we make sure that both players have these tokens, whichever one of us wins, even if we're playing a normal match and we're beating each other's ass normally, we can still do one without having that you know weird restriction of not blocking. Because the game would look very different if we were actively not blocking versus actually playing properly. And, you know, it's one match, obviously a golden joystick up for grabs, and we want to win. You know, neither of us wanted to be the loser in that situation. But at the same time, I've got to say, we wouldn't have been heartbroken either one of us losing because it meant that we got to see how our green screen recording translated into the abyss. (laughs) And that's something that I'm still... Again, because I know we mentioned it before, but we're recording this before the episode goes live. So none of us have actually seen how it all turned out. Um, I'm really curious to see how mine came through because Jake and I had a lot of fun recording that green screen. That was actually one of the best bits of the day by far. We tried to channel, because we were filming it together, we tried to channel like Tenacious D in that. But it became dumb and dumber much faster. You know what I mean? Like that was that was uh, that was a good time. And for complete clarity, by the way, those easy fatality tokens, the community often refers to them as easy friendship tokens because that's the only reason you actually spend them. Like you went into the production and they knew that the gore was going to be a thing, and you knew that the gore was going to be a thing. Was there ever a backup game or a backup challenge or a just in case we can't make this work? 
I was expecting there to be. Like I, I was I remember being on the train there and, and saying to Ryan, like, by the way, you know, what if they what if we get there and they're like, sorry, you're playing Tekken 7. Sorry, you're playing Street Fighter 5, because it's like another game they'll have on deck. Um or maybe even Injustice. Like maybe it was like a thing that they had to get approval from Warner and they were like, sorry, push comes to shove, can't do it. It's gotta be another Warner fighting game, so it's gonna be Injustice. And uh, but no, it, it was a hundred percent okayed and approved that it was gonna be Mortal Kombat. I think a big part of that was because there are ways you can mitigate the violence because don't get me wrong even when you avoid violence in mk it still is quite a graphic game but remember like it, it, it's gonna be edited like that i i would be surprised if we see anything graphic of any sort when they could just cut to an audience reaction or a host reaction or maybe they'll have some shots of us like you know moving around in the seats because we picked a stage with no violence on it um the two characters we play to be honest there are a lot more like you know violent characters as a base in terms of their normal attacks and moves and special things and whatever just as long as you're not doing rain's eyeball fatality yeah but that's what i mean like they they have like most of the the nasty stuff is is tied to very deliberate and avoidable finishing moves. So I think given the fact that we were already having those conversations with them before we even got on the train, they were aware that there would be something they could do to mitigate the violence a little bit. Because ultimately, I'm just really grateful that we got the chance to play Mortal Kombat on telly. Because you know this is the most important franchise to us in video games. We have it to thank for our careers. We have a great relationship with Warner Brothers and NetherRealm Studios. We know a lot of the developers and they're a great team of people. Um, and we were just happy to get the chance to represent it. So if us being careful with the violence lets the, the game have that chance to maybe make it on TV again, then I'm happy to do whatever is necessary you know to give the game that opportunity you you mentioned that you were problem solving in terms of trying to make sure that you can do the friendships before we started recording as well you did also mention that you were very helpful to the production in terms of you weren't supposed to be on the third day of taping you were supposed to be on the second day of yes taping. so that was uh sometimes this happens uh we weren't annoyed about it at all because uh, we've been in that position many times for you know different recordings or sometimes live it really depends they were just having to record a, a huge amount of content and uh we were originally meant to film on the tuesday we were going to be i think the final thing that was recorded and it was just really late and you know i, I don't know whether it was down to like venue uh limits or whatever but they said to us hey guys we're really really sorry but is it possible to come back the next day and we'll squeeze you in there earlier? You know, so you're not going to be waiting around, but we'll just get you there on the next day. The only thing about it was because it was when we were very close to recording our portions. We, we were next. Yeah, we're super pumped. You know, you're full of adrenaline. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then it happens. It's like, oh, oh, we'll see you tomorrow then. Uh, so it's very much kind of uh, where that came from. But I think maybe to some people it would have been a bit more frustrating perhaps. But uh, we just went back the next day. We got to see even more stuff get filmed. We got to meet even more of the people that were doing the challenges. We got to see the team again. And that was nice because everyone on the team was lovely. Um, and then we got to, you know, film our bit. I think even more so seeing just how much challenges were getting filmed. I think Jake and I felt very confident over how we wanted our portion to look and how we wanted to, uh, I think, really come through on the show. Yeah, we, we had almost an advantage, I think, really. Yeah, that that's a good point as well, because we were you know when we were there for the tuesday i think it was at the end of like i think it was the the end of like an eight hour tape um like we were next and then that's when the production crew came over and said you know we're sorry but we're out of time today we physically cannot fit in your segment we know you're staying you know because we, we traveled in from leicester which is where you know we're based 
um, and we were recording in London. So they were like, we know you've got a hotel and our hotel was nearby because we booked the nearest one. They were like, would you mind coming back tomorrow? And when that initial, like, you realize it's been a long eight hours and it's like, oh man. And then you're like, oh, hang on a minute. No, that means we get another day and it means we get to do all the cool stuff. But importantly, it did give us that night to know that we'd been watching a whole day of taping and we watched a bunch of challenges. So we saw how the, how the show was flowing and, you know, how it was all going. And obviously, you know, it's, it, it's, it's only so much in our control because, you know, we're not the editors. We're not in, you know, in charge of the creative process of how the episode is ultimately going to look. But when it came to our contributions, we were like, right, this is how the show is presented. This is what it looks like. How do we want to, you know, conduct ourselves? You know, how do we want to, because uh, obviously you, you want to, you want to make sure it's a representation of you because it's you on telly, right? But um, having that extra evening after watching it all day being recorded, to sit in the hotel and go like, right, the two of us, what, you know, how, how, how are we going to exactly do this? And it gave us a chance to kind of you know, give some extra thought to that. And, um, and we were incredibly comfortable when it finally came onto that second day and it came up you know, for our segment, we were super excited, extremely comfortable, um, and just honestly could not have had more fun with it. And I, I do think largely because we had that extra time for the extra night. You mentioned that you had fun. I mean, Ash and I had a lot of fun at the taping as well. And we're really excited to see how this series has come together. But one of the things that I'm, I was very curious to ask you both, because you're both so ingrained in the esports realm, is where do you think like a new series of Games Master kind of sits within that gaming landscape? You know, gaming on when it was first on in the 90s, it sort of made sense. It was the only way you could see gaming on TV. Now you've got YouTube, Twitch, and this and the other. Like, where do you think this new series of Games Master sits within that? I think the biggest strength Games Master can 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 have to exist in a modern landscape is to stay Games Master. Because it is exactly like you said, gaming in media has never been more mainstream. You know, you can go on to, you know, it's like you said back then. You know, it's like I said as well, the only way we could watch Games Master because of our age was random episodes on telly if they happened to come up. And then it wasn't until later that we could watch them properly. And before that, obviously, you know, if you, if you were if you were an older uh, individual, you could have watched it live. But that would have been the only way to experience games in that kind of sense. Now it is the exact opposite. I feel like if you're on Sky or, you know, whatever cable network you have, you can just channel surf and probably find gaming relatively simple. You know, obviously it'll be uh, uh, the same kind of things. So there's there's a lot of TV channels that do a lot of like kind of it's it's on Twitch and it's on, you know, TV as well. But um, it's all very modern content, whereas Games Master has that unique appeal of, you know, the challenges, the banter. The kind of the like 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 the, the the UK kind of humor to it. Obviously, like the culture of of Games Master within the TV space, because a, a big part of Games Master is the fact that it's an older show. A lot of the individuals that were on it have had kids that are now like old enough to you know be their own creators, or maybe they were young kids watching Games Master, and now they're having they've had kids who they want to watch games on TV. But like, oh look, it's this show. Do you remember this when you know mom and dad were young or whatever it is. And I think that is going to be Games Master's biggest appeal because I can definitely see it working. And I think putting it on YouTube at the same time is definitely the play. Um, but uh, I, I think by and large, it's going to come down to the kind of content they want to put on it uh, and whether it's content that can just be done, you know, because last thing you want to do is just fill it full of challenges that you can just go on YouTube and boom, you're going to watch the exact same thing with like 10,000 different creators that have already made it. And that's, that's, it looks to me like Games Master, like whoever's in charge, they already know that. And because it very much seemed like traditional games telly in terms of how the challenges worked and how the hosts kind of introduced them and the live crowd, like 
I'm very optimistic for its uh, potential to exist in the content space. Honestly, though, Jake, I, I feel like I just couldn't agree more. It is keeping the identity is the most important thing for sure. On that note, I feel like now perhaps the, and I don't know, I could be completely talking out of my backside here, but the resources for finding people for the challenges and and just the show in general, I feel like that is probably a bit easier now uh, because, you know, you can reach out to, for example, streamers, you can reach out to competitive players. The social presence is so much greater than it was uh, that really keeping that variety in there where you've got the mixture of celebrities, you've got the mixture of people on the show, competitive players, entertainers, you really have everything and all the different games, obviously all the different challenges that were being filmed. You know, it wasn't just pro players, even for the fighting games, you know, uh, Street Fighter was very different. Uh, Tekken was very, very different. And that's the whole, that's the whole thing is that for whoever you want to be on the show, it really can be as simple as you go on Twitter and you find the person you need. There's definitely, you know, the scope for that. Absolutely. But it still feels like there's, there's nothing else out there that captures what personally I feel this season of Games Master was able to not only keep going from the previous ones, but uh, put forward compared to everything else video game related that you see. Like there's loads and loads of video game content out there right now, but still nothing like Games Master. And I do truthfully hope so much that it does well enough to to let the seasons continue because everyone has such a good time. But it was made by people that both really love the games in general, but really love the show as well. You know, that, that you could feel the passion that was involved in making it happen. And uh, considering gaming on TV, it can be kind of hard to find outside of like the generic mainstream these days. Um, I really would love to see it continue for sure. Guys, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your experience, your thoughts, your opinions. Where can people find you online? What have you got coming up as we kind of come out of this COVID era and things start to happen again? Oh, there's loads of ways to get a hold of us, honestly. Uh, content is the easiest to see what we're up to. Mustard does loads of Twitch. I do loads of YouTube. Uh, Mustard's very much a variety streamer. There is fighting games in there, of course, but big on Back for Blood right now, the big Back for Blood grind. Um, we recently won a Twitch Rivals for that, which was mad. It was a lot of fun, though. Um, so you can find that at twitch.tv forward slash pndknm. Uh, the same name on YouTube. I do a lot of video essays on the history of competitive Mortal Kombat. So if whether it's down to specific characters and how good they were in all of their appearances, maybe an entire game, there's all kinds of different things you can watch there. Uh, the videos take me a fair while, but you know, when they're done, they're done is very much my, my thing. Even though content this month has been almost non-existent because I've had the flu and that sucks. <laughs> but soon we'll be back up on there. Outside of that, you know, Twitter, dot com forward slash pandy ketchup pandy mustard all that usual stuff and we'll just keep on the commentary and keep on the shows it's not just mortal Kombat that i commentate i commentate quake champions looking forward to that continuing at the start of next year uh and doom eternal whenever there is doom community stuff going so happy days ash that was episode one of series eight of games master so we saw them film three outros on the day we were there we didn't see this outro though this outro did happen on the day we were there we were just outside talking to one of the producers at oh, this point this was this, or at least a take of this was filmed on the day we were there uh -huh, but we were outside mistake. having a bit of a chinwag we were we were hobnobbing luke we were hobnobbing 
my mistake. But I did like this one, though, because this is Rav like, you know, oh, I'm going to get a takeaway for everyone. What do you want, Games Master? Cut down there. I like this, 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 and this. 14 fried rice. I mean, hey, he's a big boy. He's a big giant head. He needs feeding. He does. And as I actually failed to mention earlier, during the Call of Duty challenge, he has a Call of Duty of, of his own to do, which the amount of takeaway he's ordered. I'm not surprised. He's got a cracking almighty shit out of that one. But I do love this because it goes down to him placing the order and then he's just like rattling off and it cuts back to Rab and he says, going to be here a while. Good night. Yeah. See, see you next week. Whilst the gatekeepers, who we've barely mentioned, we've barely mentioned the gatekeepers. We will be talking about them more in episode two, but we've already got a long episode this week. The gatekeepers, Frankie and Ty, are all taking their orders while Rab deals with the games master. And at this point, we will go to credits now the press screener we saw did not have the final credits in but one thing i can say if you have only watched the youtube version of this go and watch the e4 version because there is a stinger there is a stinger <laughs> so i won't spoil it because obviously we saw it on the press screener even without the proper credits but it wasn't on the youtube version so yeah. tune in to e4 and you will see right at the end there is a post credit sequence it's only a little bit but it made me laugh. So, Ash, there we are. Episode one of series eight in our year 2021. What did you make of it? I was relieved because we went to that taping and I think we had a good feeling coming away from it. Oh, yeah. We knew what they were doing on the day was good. We knew that they were doing it with the best of intentions. We knew the people involved were solid. We knew the challenges were solid. But how was it going to come out? How was it going to be received? And the answer to that is... It came out really, really well, especially given the tight deadlines, especially given the tight turnaround and the reception. I've been keeping an eye on the hashtag GamesMaster while we've been recording. I've seen a lot of positive. I've seen some negative. The positive greatly outweighs the negative. The latest piece of negative feedback I saw was someone that hated GamesMaster originally and still hates it now. So really, you've actually not lost an audience member there because it wasn't an audience member the original had to begin with. It's going to be difficult to give this a review score because I'm relieved because, as you've heard, we've already spoken to Ketchup and Mustard. We've spoken to Kian. We've got more interviews coming up. We've spoken to a lot of people involved. And it's not that we feel any kind of duty to them to like this show because I, I, I specifically have said to Kian, we will treat this like we would any other episode of Games Master from the Legacy series. We've been very friendly with people who worked on the original series. Dominic, Di Dominic Diamond in particular. And we haven't minced our words about some of the episodes. Yeah. The reason why I wanted to like this and why I wanted people to like this is because I could see how much work they'd put into it and how much love was in it. And therefore, I wanted it to work. I am relieved that, bar a few quibbles earlier about production problems to do with the timeline and how they were able to record the commentary, which is not a reflection on the people and it's not a reflection on the production team. It's just a reflection on the time they had and the times we live in. It was a good, solid episode. There were some solid challenges. There were some nice throwbacks. The first challenge being a Mario challenge was great. The final challenge in particular with Mortal Kombat was great. I loved the fresh stuff that Rab brought to it from his own background, from his own styles and his own way of making gaming content. I, I was just really happy and really relieved. And I'm going to be riding high on this for a while because it was so nice to see Games Master being brought up by lots of people I've never seen talk about Games Master before on social media and being positive about it. How about you? There's a, a movie that came out in 2009 called Fanboys which is a movie about four lads who break into Lucasfilm to try and watch Star Wars Episode One early. 
I know that movie, yeah. Yeah, the film. The film's pretty good. The, the punchline at the end of the movie is great, though, which is where they look at each other and one of them turns to the other one and is just like, what if the movie sucks? It's a wonderful punchline because we all know episode one is not very good. It's a very, very funny punchline. I always think about that when it comes to reboots. When I sit down to watch something that I like, I'm just like, what if it sucks? And this didn't suck. And that's great. And I'm thrilled beyond that. I had a wonderful time watching it and I can't wait to watch the future episodes. Any issues we've raised, any issues we might have with this and, you know, potentially the next two episodes are things that can be fixed with more time and the refinement of the format. Yeah. Are you thinking percentage score? What percentage score do you have in your head? I ha- I was going to DeLorean it. I wasn't going to go into the 90s. So I'm DeLorean it. I'm going to go 88. I was actually going to do exactly the same <laughs> gag. You've stolen my joke. God damn it, Luke. <laughs> You've stolen my joke. I was going to go 88 as well. Sorry, anyway, mate. We shouldn't bicker because we have company. We do indeed. We have a very special guest uh, for this episode. Please welcome to Under Consultation, one of the co-hosts, or one of the hosts, I suppose we could say, for Series 8 of Games Master, Frankie Ward. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Are we, are we calling you co-host or just host brackets general? So, Rab is definitely the lead host. I was definitely hired as a co-host. I I kind of almost want to call myself, well, I don't know if I want to call myself this because that makes me sound terrible, but I, I'm essentially the main commentator on the show. That's how I would kind of describe my role. Give myself a sense of purpose, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you are a mainstay of uh, the Counter-Strike Global Offense community. Uh, you are a commentator, a host. Uh, it's been your full-time job since I think 2018. Is that yeah. about right? Yes. That is absolutely right. I, you know what? I don't normally commentate, though. <laughs> I became a commentator for Games Master, but I'm not known as a commentator in the esports world. I'm more known for, like, the Gary Lineker death coasting role. You know, he does not much of the day. I do it for numerous esports, but particularly Counter-Strike. And I'm also known as the Claire Balding, a.k.a. the sideline reporter as well. So those are the kind of roles I normally do. I'm normally the one asking questions as opposed to being the one explaining things. And in Games Master, that's kind of turned on its head. So obviously, esports as an event type, they've been around for a while. They obviously started way back when, before internet streaming was even a thing. How do you find a career path from producing, which you were doing before esports, up into this brand new form of entertainment that, while it has been around a while, is still quite unknown to a lot of people? Well, I think my route in was very different to most of the people I work in with, with in the esports kind of universe, because I was doing a project on League of Legends for the BBC, didn't really know what League was, didn't really know what esports was. I'm sure I'd heard it once or twice in passing. This was 2015. And I just loved it so much. I loved the stories of the players and also the people I met in the audience and just went, oh my God, this is how you get to work in video games. If you are not a developer, you could actually tell the stories around games. So I investigated Twitch because that's where everyone was kind of watching, apart from, you know, we had people watching on the BBC platform, but looking at Reddit, everyone was watching on Twitch, got to kind of see how that ecosystem worked. And so, yeah, I left the BBC. (laughs) It took several months and five interviews with Twitch, but I eventually got to Twitch started hosting on the side and then uh half my over half my team got made redundant the rest were in the US I was I was in the UK on my own and so I was like maybe I'll try doing some hosting full time give myself a few months see how it goes do a mixture of esports and non-esports and kind of more general gaming stuff like the PC gaming show I do for future every year and it kind of took off <laughs> and it hasn't really stopped until uh, now I'm very pregnant and can't travel. So it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of like slowed down for the first time in three years, which is very weird for me, I have to say. Um, I think the reason I was able to work so quickly with any sports was because I came with a different background and that was quite useful and I understand what producers need. And I take a look at the broadcast and I, I can research for myself and prep. And with esports, 
you do have to be your own expert. You don't have researchers like feeding you stuff, which is quite similar with Games Master. <laughs> as soon as I got the game, I'm off and going, right, have I got time to play this? Or I've already played it. Here are my notes. Here are the most important things. One of the games is Splatoon 2. That's not a spoiler. It's in the trailer. And I covered the Nordic like qualifier for the World Championships in January 2019. So I go back to my notes. Yeah, right. Okay, cool, cool. Right. Talk to Will and Ben from the production team. Right. What loadouts are we using? What map are we going to be on? All that kind of thing. So I think just being able to absorb knowledge is such a useful transferable skill, no matter what industry you're in. But it really helped me with esports. What's your um your origin story with gaming? Like what was your sort of like your earliest uh, gaming memories? It's a really hard one to know what the first game was. We had a master system. We didn't have a Mega Drive, unfortunately. Uh, so definitely Alex, the kid, uh, Sonic, Fantasy Star terrified me because you'd end up in this igloo maze and then suddenly you'd be confronted with a winged eye. But I think the first game I might have played was on my dad's work laptop and that was probably Hugo who done it too. Or maybe Monkey, uh, Monkey Island 2. And also... This is bizarre to me because I was about four or five years old when I first got my hands on my dad's uh, computer, my laptop. Um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like, I did have quite an advanced reading age, but like, how was I playing Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as a five-year-old? Like, just dying repeatedly. I think I only opened my dressing gown pocket, took my paracetamol. How do I know what paracetamol or aspirin is when I'm five years old? So, um, yeah, I only got as far as the spaceship on that one, but um, that was many years later. So, I was going to say, yeah. to do that as a four or five-year-old, I'm like, I'm north of 40, and even I still struggle with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the <laughs> Galaxy text adventure. That's, um, I mean, that's a notoriously, notoriously difficult game. Yeah. Maybe I was seven I, when I played that one. I, Hugo had done it, Monkey Island 2, I was definitely very young, and obviously playing Sonic on the, on the Master System as well, so... I did get the internet in 1993 before Netscape browser was even invented. So actually, maybe even earlier than that, because Netscape came out in 93. Obviously, it's a defunct browser, but I'm sure people listening to this podcast remember it. So I used to play on your hooligans games on the AOL network. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, it's yeah. been fascinating. <laughs> because, like, you know, we're, we're doing this podcast at the moment uh, and going through all the old episodes. We're just about to reach Series 5. We're taking a break from doing our usual run of things so we can cover all the Series 8 stuff. And, like, that is, like, the early doors of the internet. And, like, Games Master is so so heavily in on it like they're just like oh we've got a website you can download demos from it it'll take you all day but you can download demos of supercart and this and the other but like what are your like interests outside of the gaming realm what what, what does what does frankie do outside of of counter-strike this is a hard question to answer because it does completely consume your life when you work in gaming because suddenly it's not like a leisure thing anymore, though I'm trying to make it so. So my Xbox is like my leisure platform, and then my PC I associate very much with work. And I, that's where I use it for like multiplayer games and streaming and all that kind of stuff. Um, I used to occasionally play guitar. Uh, I have a dog now. <laughs> the dog is very exciting. So, um, yeah, it's it's mostly, oh God, it's such a cliche, but mostly like baking and <laughs> looking after a dog and also house renovations. So my Instagram... Unfortunately, the grid is very boring. It's mostly pictures of me at work or, uh, oh, I did some makeup for work. So here is a face, uh, my <laughs> face, uh, because that's how the algorithm works on Instagram. However, the Instagram stories is where we've been kind of chronicling uh, renovating a house for the last two years. So that's kind of been the main thing, really, that fascinates me is just how we've managed, how we've managed to do it. I'm fascinated by myself. No, I don't mean it like that. But like how we've kind of transformed this place and just learning about design, really. That's kind of my favorite thing outside of, of gaming is just kind of learning about theory and making things look nice and storage. Oh, God, <laughs> it's so boring. <laughs> 
when I moved to London, we we bought a house that was like hadn't been touched since the 1970s. Like mm. it was it was wood chip everywhere. It oh was... God, it's made in my life, man. Made oh, it's the worst, isn't it? It's yeah. the it was in every single room, and I remember like joking. Yeah. It was even in the kitchen. And I remember joking oh. with my wife once. It's like the only place it isn't in is in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And so I like, was standing in the shower one day, and I looked up, and it was on the fucking ceiling. And yeah. I was like, oh, this really is in every room. <laughs> The ceiling is the worst wood chip. We had to do that in our bedroom. We we basically knocked all the walls down pretty much in our upstairs um, structurally. We had to put beams in. We had to do all sorts of things. But the wood chip was the worst bit of it. It was even under the architrave when I was like crowbarring off the door frames. It was there everywhere, everywhere. I find it interesting you mentioned the guitar because earlier this week, and I think just purely by happenstance, I saw you posting on Twitter that you were going live on Twitch. Yes. To play yes, some you came to my stream. Thank you for that. <laughs> to be honest, it's one of those things of, I always have Twitter up, but of course the stream of information just going past is so quick. And so I just saw your post, clicked on it, joined in, amazingly lovely and supportive community. But of course, while you're, you know, streaming and gaming, I'm also doing the day job because, you know, that's what pays the bills and it's, it's background. And I've got the headphones half on and suddenly you're singing Jolene. <laughs> While doing like hitting headshots in Counter Strike, <laughs> yeah, like it's an interesting level of of multitasking. Is that is that part of your streaming repertoire? Is uh, singing and headshots? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, well, I say I like to say headshots. No, it's a hundred kills challenge, which is something. It's uh, a workshop map in Counter Strike called Aimbots, and it's it's just very good for practicing crosshair placement and um and basically tracking and stuff. So I have a uh, like a loyalty thing you can get on Twitch. Some people might not be familiar with it. Most of people probably won't. Um, it's like a. The more time someone spends in your stream, they get these loyalty points and they can spend them on rewards. And one of them is to request songs from me. And I kind of hate myself when I'm doing it, but like my stream is lovely. So they often always requesting Bohemian Rhapsody. And then I'm trying to like sing while also continuing with the task at hand. Hence why I'm shooting people with uh, like a silence M4 while trying to remember the words to Jolene. It's... Yeah, it's a hoot. Um, I do love the community. They are very, very supportive. And some of them have been watching me stream since 2017 when I was first joining Twitch. In fact, 2016, one or two of them. So they're lovely and they're very patient because often I go away and I don't stream for ages because I'm in a random country uh, doing esports. So the fact that they stick around is, is just means a lot. And it also means that I can get sponsorships and things like that. So I can kind of keep going when I'm not hosting as well, which is great. I mean, I'll be honest, that sounds like a future challenge for an episode of Games Master. Is you, you singing like a, a, a jukebox, like a randomized jukebox coming up that you've got to get the words right to while also playing Counter Strike? Yeah. Have you played Back for Blood? I haven't personally, no. Not yet. It's it's fun. I mean, I wouldn't pay 60 quid for it. I will be blunt. I think Xbox Games Pass is amazing, though. So totally play it through that. But there is a challenge where you are in a bar. And you have to like put the jukebox on and that encur- like encourages the horde to come your way. And so it's playing a variety of really like 70s rock songs, you know, that kind of, I, th- I can't remember if Ace of Spades is one of them, but it's that kind of thing. So I feel like a challenge where you have to like sing royalty free <laughs> songs that you've made up so it can go on the telly while you're also like battling these zombies would, would be quite a fun challenge. I see my brain was automatically making it a dual platform challenge. So maybe you have Counter-Strike on the PC. And you have SingStar oh, next God. to it. <laughs> I've got a natural vibrato in my voice. SingStar hates me. I once did SingStar as a competition uh, on stage at some event. I, I think it was like the clothes show. And like I sang well and stuff. 
And then I, but I didn't win. I can't remember, but I do remember like hanging around the stage because someone who didn't win also got given a copy of the game, the mics, and they never gave me anything. And I was there like, oh, I really wanted this game. So I had to wait till I was a student and then got it pre-owned. Like all the games I owned pretty much pre-owned. What was your um, knowledge, going back to Games Master for just uh, just one Mm -hmm. second, as much as I would love to talk about SingStar some (laughs) more because it's one of my wife's favorite games. What was your knowledge of Games Master? Like, you know, its history, its legacy, um, when you were approached to be on the new series? So I knew a lot about the, the legacy of Games Master and obviously Dominic and, and even Dexter and Patrick Moore, obviously it's iconic, his image. But I was very young, I have to say, when the first series were coming out. So I guess if the first series was 92, I was about four years old. No, I was three years old. I turned four at the end of that year. So I didn't unfortunately get to really engage with it as much as you know the, the existing audience <laughs> and the audience that we're going to have on E4 who know and love it and, and yourselves did. But I was then very aware of the significance of the show. And I first heard rumors about it a couple of years ago because I do a show called PC Gaming Show every year that's organized by Future Media who published PC Gamer. And um, I heard they had the IP and that they might be interested in trying to bring it back. And honestly, like I was just like, obsessed from then on in, in how to become involved in some way. Even if it was behind the scenes, I would like keep my eyes out everywhere. I remember finding out Alaska were going to be co-producing it and I emailed Ian, the executive producer. Never heard back at the time. Um, also found the commissioners <laughs> responsible at <laughs> Channel 4, emailed them as well. Literally just just looking out for whatever I could going on Greenlight, this production website and everything, just trying to find out how to be involved, even if it wasn't actually on camera. And then I got an email from Ian, <laughs> obviously not in response to my original email, saying that Channel 4 had put me forward as someone they wanted to like see for the show. And Channel 4, to be fair, they did actually reply to me. This was like maybe at the start of this year saying like they haven't got a partner yet and they were, but they at least replied to me and, and all that kind of stuff. So I appreciated that. And then the audition was like 13 of us co-hosts, three lead hosts, including rap. So we had different pairings. And the last pairing was myself, the amazing John Robertson, who is known for The Dark Room, a credible Twitch streamer and was brilliant to work with and, and always is. And um, rap. And rap like turned to me and was just like, I know you. I know you you from esports and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> no one, like I knew a lot of the people who turned up to audition in the co-hosting pool. But it was like a really lovely thing that made me feel comfortable straight away. And then we did some Overcooked 2 to commentate that. And that just kind of worked, I guess. And then we and then we cast Ty later. So we, we did another casting session. We found Ty literally within a few minutes of him walking in the room. We were just like, yeah, this is our guy. This is totally our guy. <laughs> so what was like sort of finding the dynamic between the three of you like? Like, did you just kind of like have workshops together or stuff? Or was that something that was just worked out like once you got to the tapings? So the first casting day was a conversation with your lead host. And then you we had a gaming challenge that we would, someone from production would play and then we would commentate it. And the first one I did uh, with a different co-host and different lead host was Overcooked, but Emily, the producer, was playing both of the the chefs and was really good at it. And I was like, there's nothing much for me to commentate here because the joy in Overcooked is obviously the things that are going wrong and kind of commenting on obviously what they're doing right as well. But you want the kitchen to be on fire. You want or you want food on the floor. So you can talk about health and safety standards and how there are none. Like you, you want that. And so I, I felt like I am going to probably make myself seem like such a dick to production here. But I mentioned to them and I went, it, just a thing for Overcooked. 
it'll be super cool if you had two people playing it so we can commentate on the dynamics of that situation and working together. And I thought that that would mean that they would not want to work with me. And they'd be like, who the hell is this woman? Why is she telling us how to do Overcooked, for God's sake? Um, But they actually took it on board. And so when we commentated the last, uh, at the end of the day, when we did put Overcooked 2 again, uh, it worked because they actually did listen. It was really nice. Um, But with Ty's audition, because me and Rab were already set, it was more like just playing a game and just having a conversation while we played a game. (laughs) And uh, Ty came in. And he started talking about the games that he played. So mostly kind of FIFA and Grand Theft Auto. And I was like, oh, do you role play? And he was like, yeah, I'll do this, 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 this. And I was like, so uh, what are your jobs in GTA 5? And he just went, oh, what jobs don't I do? And then he just like went off on a, like a list of things, including his nightclub called Rolos. And I would almost cry laughing. And I just, after that, I was just like, yeah, he's totally the one. And when he left the room, we were all just mouthing at each other. We were just like, we love him. We absolutely love him. And we really liked others who were there as well. But there's just something about Ty, I think, that instantly was a different energy to me and Rab, but still an energy that worked with us. And that was like really, really important, obviously. When we uh, spoke with Kean uh, the other day, when we, we, we interviewed him about the show, he mentioned that Ty beat Rab at FIFA. Yes. A <laughs> Rab will kill me for mentioning this. So I wanted to bring it up on another podcast. Uh, so we can definitely reiterate that Ty beats him. Oh yeah. So it was 7-0, I believe. It was Chelsea versus Rangers. I'm pretty sure it was 7-0 or 7-1. I don't know if they kept kept it in any of the edits because I definitely mentioned it during one of the VT shoots. <laughs> so I don't know if this will get actually into the edit or not. But yeah, so they played FIFA during during this audition. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was absolutely <laughs> amazing. Because you, you see people go from kind of being on their best behavior and having a fairly civil conversation to suddenly playing this game. And it just completely changing the atmosphere in the room. And, it, you know, it can come quite heated. But the the heat, so to speak, worked really, really well with those two. Talking of the filming experience, I mean, everything happened on a very tight turnaround. Uh, one of the consistent messages we've gotten from people we've spoken to throughout the process of producing New Games Master is very tight deadlines, very quick turnaround. How did you find the experience of filming for television as opposed to a lot of the work you've done before, which is more live events and live streaming and live reporting? Well, I will give some context. So I think I auditioned for Games Master maybe the 21st, 20th, 21st August. Um, got cast officially about eight days later, got married the next day. <laughs> I didn't know if I could do it because I was going to host a tournament called the International, which is the Dota 2 tournament, which had a prize pool of just over $40 million this year in Romania. We had a clash. So <laughs> luckily I was allowed, there were other hosts as well. And they let me go out a couple of days into the group today. So I got to do it because it was a, a real difficult, difficult dilemma to be put under because I've got my two, literally two dream jobs. Like TI is kind of the pinnacle of esports events. And then you've got Games Master, which is the pinnacle of gaming on TV. And it was also the opportunity to do TV. But we had 18 teams going to the international. And Dota 2 is one of the most notoriously complex games of all time. It's not the most complicated game of all time. So I was trying to prep for both while also having a couple of other obligations at the same time. And it was an incredibly stressful month. I I didn't have a day off for a month, basically. And because the turnaround with Games Master was so quick, I was getting some of the games and the challenges fairly last minute. So just doing all the research I could, 
just to make sure that I was going to be picking out the right things, knowing the right things to look for in the game, but also knowing what was necessary to communicate to the audience as well. So that was kind of a a real balancing act. So the experience of it was still like brilliant because one of the things in esports is most people in esports have only worked in esports. And so you also have tournament organizers who are producing the events uh, like fully. So they're doing the broadcast side of things and they're doing the tournament organization side of things. And sometimes the publisher is literally... (laughs) doing all of it as well so like with overwatch league that is actually produced by activision blizzards who make the game it's insane like how hands-on the esports world is and it means people doing multiple jobs or like some you essentially come into a production and you are very very kind of reliant on yourself Uh, whereas with tv i think there's a much more established kind of framework of who's going to be doing what and uh, an understanding there and it means that you're really really able to concentrate on everything that you really really need to do and i love that about it i have to say and also i would work sometimes like even while pregnant i worked like 15 uh, one or two 15 hour days uh, whereas with games master they they tend to still be long days you know like 12 hour days but there was some kind of rest periods as opposed to constantly having to watch and there was a bit more variety and the records themselves didn't take as long and then we did bts like video shoots and things like that so there was a lot more uh, diversity and variety so i would say the tv experience was really good i, I want to do so much more i really really do i don't know if i'll get the opportunity to whether that's games master or anything else but yeah it was a great experience and it's lovely having the audience there and the, the hardest thing for me is like, I don't know how people are going to react. <laughs> I don't know how different it's going to be to the esports world. I have a feeling people are still going to be quite vocal if they don't like things. Uh, I have a feeling that people are going to be quite direct if they don't like me, for example. I'm kind of used to it by now. It's something I can handle. But the commentating thing is was a new discipline for me. So I'm hoping we pulled it off. <laughs> I'm very much hoping we pulled it off. But when you're commentating, your commentators behind a screen, you can't see them to pass to them. That's like quite technically technically difficult. Some of the challenges are quite short as well. So I'm doing color commentary and I'm doing kind of play-by-play commentary. I'm doing kind of two people's jobs in one. And I hope that we get to make some more episodes so that there's more space for Rab to come in. Because that's one of the things I'm quite conscious of <laughs> is, is like taking up a lot more space than I usually would. I mean, from a, a fan perspective, you know, Ash and I, we were there for the, the third day of taping. And actually, like, we loved the day we were there for anyway. But all like the people that we've spoken to as well within the production are just so lovely and just have just been so nice. And we were actually like, just before we recorded this, we were speaking to two people who did some challenges and they were just so complimentary of the production as well. And, you know, they said it's like, it's one of the best things they've ever done. They were long days, but you were there with nice people. So it must've been, you know, pretty fun still. Yeah, absolutely. I Just to say, I work with really lovely people in esports as well, but the Games Master team are, you know, phenomenal and all so enthusiastic about the project. And I got to know some of them before we went to the studio environment at the pumping station um, on the VT shoots as well. So I'm really desperate to work with those people again because they're just so much fun and so lovely. Um, And and we had an instant kind of dynamic on set that felt quite special. I really hope for the people that kind of poured their heart and soul into this that we get to make more because I think there's so much more that we can do. So, so much further we can go with it. And, you know, it's almost like a little pilot season. So this doesn't have to be the definitive version of New Games Master. This can be the start. And I really hope that the channel recognizes that and the audience recognizes that and we get to, you know, get to go further with it. What was uh, what was your reaction to the smell of the pumping station? <laughs> yes, the uh, the sewage smell. Um, well, I mean, we went past Thames Water and I was like, oh, okay, right. It's still kind of active. Great. <laughs> yeah. And then we drove up towards it and I was like, yep, okay, that's the thing. But you couldn't smell it on all of the site. So luckily we had this little Winnebago. Uh, <laughs> 
me, Rab and Ty, which is, we got makeup done and stuff. Uh, and, you know, that was that was smell free, which was good. <laughs> um, so it was you got used to the smell, I should say. It's a bit like I used to live in Kent, so I got used to like Mark spreading smell. So it wasn't <laughs> that bad, should we say. And also I love I love a pumping station. I need to go back there because they do monthly steaming and that's when they turn the boiler on for eight hours and let it heat up. Um and then they make the pistons go. And I believe I don't know if the pistons, I suspect the pistons in the area we filmed in of the pumping station don't work, but at the back behind where the set was, where it's all painted beautifully in Victorian colours, those pistons still work. And I'm a real geek for this kind of thing. So I actually really want to go back and and, and see it work. And I think it was Ray, the engineer, I mentioned it to him and he was like, oh, we got steaming on October 24th. And I was like, I'm not around, Ray. I'm not around. But if I can come in the future, I will. So I promised, just like I made the promise to the guys at Trainspotting Live, my last show on the BBC at Didcot Parkway Railway <laughs> Heritage Rail Station. I did go back and and uh, when they had, uh, like they decommissioned one of their engines to get repaired, I went back. So I will go back to Crosshairs Pumping Station at some point. I mean, I love architecture and I love that particular style. So I, w- I was the same when we went in and also part of my brain went, if they do another series, because let's be honest, we I think we all hope they do another series and they decided, oh, we need to expand or we need to go a bit further out. There's all that stuff behind where the audience was stood as well, which is not only kind of an extra space, but also a completely different aesthetic, because as mm. you said, it's all painted and beautiful. But I did not know that they actually got the pistons working. I am genuinely excited at the prospect of going yes. along and seeing that because yes. I, I, I grew up loving steam trains and going yeah. to um, county fairs where you had the old traction engines and stuff. So that, that stuff's what I grew up with. So yeah, the thought to be able to go and see something like that and see the, the big old wheels turning. Yeah, you just basically have to look on the website, see when the next steaming is because it takes such an effort to like start the pistons up. That uh, that they only do it like once a month. But <laughs> I also did some filming when I was doing this BBC director training at Chiswick, and they did a steaming there. And I mentioned it to this engineer who'd been on sort of our guide on set, and he was like, "Oh, well, well, the person who does my job at Chiswick, they they messed up, so the boilers don't work anymore." <laughs> it's just like, I was like, "Brilliant! There's steam wars. There's steam wars. I need to be part of this." But I don't know if we change the set as is tradition with the original Games Master shows, or if we do a few more episodes and kind of I know you guys will call it like series 8b for example i don't know if we would stick with the venue if we go somewhere else i don't know series 16 we get to go to a butlands and pass it off as a as a beach level i'm not sure <laughs> but yeah I and then and then we'll get wrapped in a bikini because i'm not doing that <laughs> <laughs> bikini in a canoe i would absolutely love for them to stay in the current location for a, you know definitely more than three episodes let's yeah. get a mm. good like nine or ten extra episodes in there before you start worrying about looking for a new theme because uh yeah, d- locations like that don't come along every day yeah exactly um, uh, speaking of costumes i i ah. so ash and i when we were hanging out in in catering before it uh the, the we were there for the tapings we spied we spied you across the way and i noticed you were wearing like the green jumpsuit mm-hmm. and the Dexter with, jumpsuit the, well that's what i said to ash i turned to ash and i said Frankie's dressed as Dexter Fletcher. And I was and I was curious as to whether or not that was on purpose or it was just a coincidence. So this is very boring, but um again, I sound like I'm plugging my Instagram constantly. But if you look back, I'm I'm basically known in esports wearing a jumpsuit. I'm known for red lipstick and jumpsuit. So it was a very a normal thing for me to wear. Although it's it's essentially the same shade of green as as Dexter Fletcher wore in his series of Games Master. The reason <laughs> is pretty much because I needed something and maternity clothes are really hard to come by. 
and um we had to get me something really last minute like we filmed on the monday i was running down to beyond retro in brixton at 5 p.m on saturday <laughs> yeah so and then i was just i i had it in my brain that i wanted a work wear suit because of what i knew rab was potentially wearing and because of the environment as well so i managed to find one that actually fit my bob <laughs> it wouldn't fit me now but i've always wanted a, a, like a boiler suit like that as well so yeah so basically i got a secondhand like vintage workman suit from from a vintage shop and uh yeah it, i think it worked really well for the show but we kind of discussed at the second casting when we when we met ty for the first time like what we were kind of kind of wear and stuff like that because i didn't want to wear a floral maternity dress uh but I also wanted to wear something better than some of the stuff that I've had to wear for shoots recently which have just been like a pair of you know maternity <laughs> jeans or and a stripy top like because that is rubbish I'm gonna go off on my high horse about like the lack of actual decent maternity options for women if I'm not careful but uh, I kind of wore it partly because it's a type of thing I'd wear a lot because it is kind of games master and you know I wasn't wearing a tool belt but it is sort of that kind of it does pay homage to that series, but also, yeah, just because I didn't have any, I didn't really have many options. <laughs> it was that or like an 80s kind of vintage massive jumper. The amount of conversations I've had over the last year, because we've, we've, I've just had a kid uh, and my wife being like, I can't find anything nice. I can't find yeah. anything nice to buy. Like as she got like later and later in pregnancy, she's like, I'm really running out of options now. Yeah. And everything gets toothpaste on it because uh, when you're brushing your teeth, your, your bump's just there. You can't reach the sink. So literally, <laughs> all these clothes are just so horrible. <laughs> it's just so TMI, but blimey, my dressing gown's never going to be the same again. It's just like, <laughs> just like bleached, bleached in patches. It's one of the most inconvenient things about being pregnant is the toothpaste. But I think it is kind of cool that, um, that like not only is there a, a woman commentating full stop because it's quite rare in in sports, let alone esports and, and gaming, but also a massively pregnant one. <laughs> so, I have a feeling there's going to be some people being like, "This is political correctness gone mad," <laughs> but um, we'll we'll see. I was actually just going to say on the matter of the jumpsuit, the other thing that came to my mind was Ripley from Aliens. Yes. I, I I mean, she's uh, icon, isn't she? I do have a denim jumpsuit that's very Ripley. And actually, so I keep mentioning the PC Gaming Show, but it's my, one of my favourite shows that I get to be involved in during the year. Um, this year, because I've done four of them now, uh, we had a storyline where I was filming in front of a green screen in Bath while like strapped into this pilot's chair like a five kind of seatbelt weird chair while nine weeks pregnant it's quite tough I'm not gonna lie the the concept being I'm on planet earth like searching for games in this giant mech and I got to wear a flight suit for that and they put like a little sticker on it that said like Hollywood uh, a little patch on it so like Frankie Hollywood Ward and uh, I definitely look my most Ripley there <laughs> because um because uh yeah that was that was really really cool there's a photo of me somewhere, like some screen grab where I've got my cup of tea. Uh, I always have to have a cup of tea in the PC gaming show and uh, and my Ripley jumpsuit on uh, trying to save the world. So I'm really hoping we get to do a continuation of that story next year. But we, I don't know what's going to be happening with obviously with E3 and stuff like that. And hey, they might not have space for me on the show anymore. You never know. I've been doing it for four years. So I'm really hoping I get to do more because it's, it's the most fun. And that was one of the things with Games Master was like finding out 
that Future owned the IP was immediately just like, oh my God, this is going to be great because Future have such a, obviously like such a legacy with with gaming publications. The PC game is not the only gaming publication they have. And I guess Games Master Magazine, RIP, was theirs as well. But they just have such a great sense of humor and like a refreshing approach to games. Everyone who works there on those IPs love games and you know, very active and, and all that kind of stuff. Like I got discovered by Future because there was a brand, their brand director, Tim, was in New York. He's an Englishman in New York. And he was watching a UK based Hearthstone tournament. And it was my first ever stage host in January 2018, which I began by <laughs> by uh, remarking on one of the bear hides I was stroking on stage and kind of set the tone for my esports career. Because um, that doesn't normally happen in esports. It's very, it, it's quite serious a lot of the time. <laughs> And he saw that and went, oh, she'll be a good fit for the PC gaming show, even though I had a full-time job and no one knew who the hell I was. So I owe a lot to, to Future, for sure, like I'm PC gamer. During the, the filming of, of the show, and we know this is, is pretty much the case because we were down in the green screen area um, and the guy there mentioned this, well, a lot of production uh, mentioned this. You didn't know who the games master was actually going to be on the set. So like for moments when if you had to reference or like refer to him, like what did you kind of visualize in your mind's eye? Well, I am one of the people who suggested to Trev. I should call him Trev, <laughs> sorry, to Trev McDonald, to Keen, the showrunner. Um, but like I can't take credit because I think a few people did in the end. Uh, it's just because I'd seen him being part of Channel 4's Black and Proud season and he, he hosted Countdown and it went down so well. And so I knew he was kind of starting to be associated with Channel 4. Um, so I thought he'd be perfect. But I don't know. I, I think I visualized someone, you know, of, of Sir Trevor's stature, um, female or male. Um, and I think the thing is, the Games Master is this like this almighty construct. So you're just in your mind, you're just going like, whoever the Games Master is, they are, you know, they are our master. So it kind of in the filming it almost doesn't affect things too much because you're not thinking of them as the actor you're thinking of them as the or the performer you're thinking of them as the concept uh so so we had a bit of fun with that um and rab is just like amazing in the way that he kind of reveres the games master during the show and things you mentioned obviously rab reveres the games master and is very much the lead and as we've now seen he throws over to the games master for the challenges when it came to coming up with kind of the character and the roles that you were all going to play? Were they just exaggerations of yourself or was there kind of like a workshopping process where you kind of worked out, well, how how grumpy is Rab going to be? Or was it just a case of he turned up, he knew what he was doing and away he went? I think everyone just was themselves. Although Rab is really lovely. Obviously, he's he makes a lot of jokes in the show, but I think the, the key thing to Rab's comedy as well is, you know, he's the butt of his own jokes. Uh, he might, he'll, we make jokes about the celebrities. That's very in the spirit of Games Master, right? Although I do make a joke about a certain sports simulator game and uh, how I'd rather touch grass. And I don't know if that will make the edit, but then we did this challenge and I re- it was one of my favorites. And so now I feel really bad. So I'm going to have to wait and see the edit. And then I'm going to have to like issue a Twitter apology just being like, actually, thanks to the person who did that challenge, especially. I'm now like, I'm bought into this game now. And I wasn't before in terms of watching it. I still hate playing it. <laughs> but, but now watching it, I'm just like, oh my God, there's like more to talk about than I thought. And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on board with that. Uh, it is a game that's kind of in the esports universe. So <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want the publisher to be like, we're never working with her ever again because she said this thing about our game. But yeah, so I do think everyone's pretty much like true to who they are. Like I do get enthusiastic and loud when I'm talking about video games <laughs> as I do in the show. The lovely thing about doing something like Games Master as well, or doing I do a show called Red Bull Duos, which is on YouTube 
is I get to also be, I get to kind of unashamedly, God, this is, I don't know if I like this word very much, but I get to be my sassier side. I almost call it like my drag queen side. So it's kind of taking the mick. And because there's a camera there, everyone knows the context of it is to have a laugh and it's not serious. Whereas if I were to make some of the jokes I make when I'm filming uh, with contributors in real life uh, or, you know, off camera, then I'd be terribly British and apologetic about it. And I'd be really like socially anxious afterwards and just be like, oh, God, I said that thing. I hope they know I was joking. So when the camera's on, you can I just have the freedom to, <laughs> to take the mic a little bit more. But I only do that to people I admire and, and respect type of thing. So like I could do it to Ty. <laughs> Because Ty, like me and Rab were having this conversation like on the last day of filming. We're just like, oh my God, Ty's so annoying. He's so nice and talented. And he's going to be bigger than both of us put together. He's just such a light, uh, like just such a lovely person to work with. But he is genuinely, like Ty is that energetic off camera and that enthusiastic and so curious and like open to asking questions and learning. And like, I have this video of him. We were doing some filming and he is in a VR headset and he is dancing and it- <laughs> It's just like the most amazing thing. He throws himself into everything and he's got such a like a bright future ahead of him. He'll like he'll try everything and he can do whatever he wants to do. Um, So it was just an absolute joy to kind of be part of that first TV experience with him. And then Rab himself is just like super generous. You know, he's given a kind of structure of the show and then he's gone off and he's written that script, all the jokes, everything. I, I all but one of my pieces to camera I wrote. Um, but mine are really short, so I don't really know if that's any, even worth bothering to say, to be honest, because they're so insignificant compared to like what Rab's done. He is the perfect choice for the show. I can't imagine anyone else being in the the role that he's in. Like he takes the responsibility of bringing the show back so seriously. And it's not just because he's a Scotsman, it's serendipitous that he is. He's just the perfect person for it. We've seen in the trailer that there's a lot of like uh, esport legends um sort of within that as well and you, these are people that you you know as well so it must have been like really nice to be able to like have them onto the show and have that connection already kind of established yes so we have mc fixer and somebody there in the trailer so i can talk about them i did a show called uh versus for uh gtv which is like this ubisoft youtube initiative that's where i first met fixer and have kept in touch with them ever since we filmed that in march i think because he is just an incredible personality and so funny. I've just been kind of willing him on ever since and he's starting to really gain traction. He's just started doing a show for Jinx TV. Um, I think he's a superstar, as is Sampai, who he does the challenge with. She's brilliant. She, 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 I kind of, I, I sort of knew who she was, but then when Soldier Boy sent her a console, that kind of, that kind of went viral this moment because he and some of his followers acted in this vile, misogynistic way towards her and lied about her. And she handled that so well. And yeah, again, amazing energy. And Ketchup and Mustard. I have known of these guys since I started working at Twitch. And I never got to meet them or work with them before because I don't tend to do much in the the fighting game space. I, I did some production stuff for Twitch around Tekken World Tour at Paris Games Week in like 2017. But Tekken 7 is one of the games they're not really involved with so much. So I hadn't got to actually properly work with them. And when I heard that they were doing the show... I did get in touch with Ketchup to just be like, hey, I, I'm just watching some of your guides and Mustard's guides and things. But like, is there anything like you think I should know in particular? And um, especially because I knew the characters they were going to be playing. And he recorded me this 10 minute video with a kind of basic introduction to his character and the, the most important key things to know about commentating it and things like that. It was amazing. And I, I like like I am not a shy in saying when I've had help with something and he helped me so much 
with with a few a couple of the fighting games that we did um and yeah him and his brother are just amazing and the intensity of their in-game faces are genuinely a wonder to behold it is it's my favorite thing it is my favorite thing that i've seen so far it's just absolutely beautiful seeing the the, the concentration like this is so serious they were both pro players and both now commentators full-time and oh it's just it's what the show should be about is definitely um, guys like them or women like them as well, obviously everyone like them who just love things so much and get in that zone. And we get to kind of bring that to a wider audience than say esports does like esports is a huge audience, but it's not the same as the one that's on TV. I saw one comment the other day, which is about why Games Master sh- should even come back because there's content on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. This is a very different show to the kind of content you see created on YouTube or streamed on Twitch. This is a, a, a formatted show. It's challenges, it's introducing you to new people. So it's a variety in terms of the challenges and the kind of people. You've got your pro gamers, you've got your kind of members of the public, you've got your celebrity challenges, and then you've got your videos, your, your VT things as well. And I don't want to spoil anything about those, but it is more than a, a content creator on YouTube. I'm not saying it's better than, it's different. I shouldn't say more than, I should say it's different too. Yeah. Like you don't see this content on YouTube until you see it on YouTube because it's coming out on YouTube first. But you know what I mean? It's different <laughs> is what I'm trying yeah. to say. It's not, it's not the same as stuff that's currently out there. And I think therefore it has a valid reason to exist. <laughs> and so I'm really hoping that we, we find the audience for it because I think it will appeal to people who do watch and engage in that content on YouTube but then it's going to appeal to the audience that would never dream of watching a let's play yeah no I, I completely agree with you on that because like I I love GDQ and I I'm a I'm a viewer of the GDQ events and I absolutely love watching them and I you know and I watch replays of it and things out like the other but that is as much as I love it, it's all speedrunning events. Like it's mm-hmm. a speedrun, 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 speedrun. One of the, the brilliant things about Games Master is that variety. You know, the challenges that we saw, each one of them brought something new to the table. And that because of that, then it, every challenge I got something different out of it. And yeah, so I, I completely agree with you on that. It was one of the odd things is obviously we knew it was coming back. And then we knew we were going to be able to go down and see it being recorded. And there's this thing of like, I think I'm going to like this. Every Everyone we've spoken to, everything we've heard, it feels like it's all moving in the right direction. There's this little bit at the back of my head just going, what if I hate it? <laughs> like there's that real thing of like, what if I hate it? And then my brain ratified it of going, well, just judge it on its worth. And if you don't like it, but it's still a well-made product, then really that's the most important thing. Because even if it doesn't land with me, as long as it lands with an audience, and I'm the same with a lot of properties that come back, not all of Doctor Who since 2005 has landed with me, but it's found an audience. And that's the important thing. Thankfully, we got there on the day. And from the moment I walked onto the set, I'm like, oh, I love this. Yeah. (laughs) And from the moment I saw you guys walk onto the set and I'm like, oh, I love this. And then the first challenge. One last question (laughs) I wanted to ask before we kind of wrap things up is, did you have, is there any like funny stories you had from the production? Is there anything that like really sticks out to you as like, that's a massive highlight that I'll never forget? Oh, okay. So there is, there's, I mean, the, the videos we filmed were really fun. And there is one which was just an absolute delight. And I don't want to spoil it in any way. It involves the phrase, bum bum mouth. (laughs) It involves the phrase, bum bum mouth. I think the full quote is, it's a robot with three but two eyes and a bum bum mouth. (laughs) I don't know if that makes it into the final edit. It has to make it into the final edit, surely. That's 
was just uh yeah that was like a definite highlight for me also uh, we had a cuphead challenge and um the circumstances around that challenge the whole setup around that challenge as well as the game itself which i think is the perfect game for a games master challenge um i think is really really special and then ketchup and mustard like <laughs> oh god then i want to say fix on somebody I, like honestly there was so much joy on that set at all times and with the contributors and i spent a lot of time Oh, I say I spent a lot of time. I spent as much time as I could. Unfortunately, I couldn't spend loads of time because we had to do rehearsal and, and obviously film the thing. But um, when I could get into that contributor green room and uh, and speak to people and just kind of find out about how, you know, their relationship with the games and also just with the show and each other and all that kind of stuff, like I would be there in a heartbeat because like there's kind of there's the ecosystem of the show, obviously the people behind the scenes. Then you've got myself, uh, Rab and, and Ty, especially Rab being such a driving creative force and then you've got the contributors and like <laughs> and the audience but um the contributors are just so enthusiastic and the golden joystick is very much like uh, a hallowed thing still in gaming and that's why people want to do the show like warren brown who is one of our celebrity guests he really really wanted a golden joystick so you have to watch the show to find out if you got one but he was very very enthusiastic and keen to be there same with dev as well who another of our celebrity challenges Dev was actually hosting the League of Legends project, which is the first esports project I did. <laughs> I didn't actually say anything to him on set. I was, I was like, do I say, by the way, you were in my first ever gaming thing and now I do it as a living and I do kind of what you do. And I didn't. <laughs> I just sat in my commentary box like. <laughs> but um, yeah, so many great memories. So I just want to make more. So we know what you've got going on right now with Games Master and Games Master coming out. What is next for, for Frankie Ward? What have you got coming up? I mean, there's an obvious one. Yeah, I've got to give birth. God. Uh, um, so I think because of the whole baby inconvenience, no, I'm, joking. I'm joking, the baby is not an inconvenience. Uh, being pregnant is. But um, I, it means that I've had to kind of slow down a bit. So it's more that there's stuff, some stuff outside of that if people are interested and want to see some more gaming stuff. So I have a podcast. It sounds like I'm just promoting Red Bull here, but I have a podcast with Red Bull. It's called Save Your Game. So there's 10 episodes of that in the first series that's gone out and loads of people from different kind of walks of life, but mostly from esports. There is a host called Steph Hex Bendixson, who is an Australian host. And she was so interesting because the first game she really played was when she was 16. And she got addicted to it. So it was a really interesting uh, talking to her about that. Uh, so don't be put off if you don't know the people in the story. There's also a speedrunner called Grand Pooper, who was fascinating because he changed his life after having a catastrophic snowboarding accident, which was made more, even more complicated by the fact that they think he maybe already had an infection when he had the accident. So we don't dwell on that too much, but it led to him having this phenomenal speedrunning career. Um, and so there's loads of really interesting stories like that in the podcast. And then there's Rebel Duros as well, which is like a 10 minute show. There's five episodes and it's me and essentially content creators from YouTube, but you don't need to know them already. They are all picked because they're blooming entertaining. They have to share controls and different games. So there's like Tekken, there's Dirt Rally 5. Oh, sorry, not Dirt Rally, Dirt 5. Um, there's loads of different challenges within that series so much fun to make another one where it was like a family atmosphere <laughs> where all the crew I, uh, you know that there's a lot of dads on the crew and i'm heavily pregnant they're all making sure i'm super well looked after and also asking my uh, thoughts on the the best and the worst disney films <laughs> so, so i'm we've, we, we're hopefully going to make a series too because then i can go back and just like get their advice on being a parent i'm i'm really looking forward i'm really hopeful that we're going to get a second series for that 
So yeah, and I'm on Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash get Frank Games is my Instagram. My Twitch is literally Frankie. And then my Twitter is Frankie Ward. If you hate what I do, feel free to discuss it on the internet. However, I will ask one thing, which is please don't tag me. You know, it's not natural to have loads of people saying they hate you. Uh, you know, oh, so yeah. <laughs> I'm just telling you they hate you and what you should be doing and all this kind of stuff. I've written about this on my website and things like that. It's just it's not a healthy place to be. I don't mind people reviewing my performance and saying it's not what they like. That's absolutely fine. Just if you could avoid doing it to my face so I can go and find it instead. And it can, when I'm in a, the right headspace, I would appreciate that. And the same goes for anyone, I think. Um, but yeah, if you do like it, do tweet me so I can get a massive head. And when I'm giving birth, I'm just going to be like, it's fine because people like me on Games Master. <laughs> I don't need drugs. I've got validation. <laughs> Keep your opioids. I've got Twitter. I don't need. I don't need an epidural. I bet you that is the statement that has never been made before (laughs) and will never be made again. I don't need drugs. I've got Twitter. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that they're going to be recommending that to us at NCT class. I can tell you that. No. Thank you so much to Frankie for being on this show. Wonderful to have her as part of this podcast. And we will be back in seven days' time for episode two of series eight. Ash, take us away. Good night. Big up, mum. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.